to episode 30 of Inside the Table, a tabletop RPG talk show. A show in which we talk about the craft of tabletop role-playing games. My name is Marley. You can follow me at minor underscore Lenahan on the social media site X. And my pronouns are he, him. And joining me today is my co-host. Hi there, I'm Cole. You can follow me at IceColeBrew. My pronouns are he, him, they, them. And you can follow me on the blue... Uh, the Blue Bird site. Not Blue Sky, No, the Blue Bird site. And also on co-host... Wait, what's the Blue Bird site? It's still Twitter. I'm I'm not calling Twitter the other name. Okay. You're still not calling it Twitter. People will be confused. No, it's fine. People will uh, figure fine. it out. People are clever. Look, just put at Ice Cold Rune. You'll stumble on me somehow. It'll be weird. Yeah, you have good brand synergy, unlike me, who, who've... I've fallen into the underscore loophole. The loophole? That's not what I mean. Underscore rabbit hole is the this thing I'm looking for. Anyway, <laughs> uh, today we have a very special interview with uh, game designer uh, Riley Daniels, who's worked on As His Hunt Forever sets, Into the Blind, uh, Ghoul Boys, and a bunch of other things. But first, we have a very fun special announcement, which is that we have launched a Patreon. It's exciting. Um, so basically, last episode, we had a big talk about money and about like how to market things and how to do things. And it got me very excited about getting paid. <laughs> um, so we have basically uh, uh, sat down and decided, let's let's do a patreon. let's let's have uh, tiers that will allow you to hear a behind the scenes podcast, uh, join an exclusive discord. And if you join the VIP table, uh, you can get a shout out in the podcast. We will shout out your name like they do in, in podcasts sometimes. Mm -hmm. Basically, we're going to try it out, see how it goes. We're very excited about it. We have a bunch of topics already written out for, for things we can talk about behind the scenes. So we have to give a little little tease. What kind of thing are we thinking about talking about, Cole? Well, you know, I have a, pot, a good name such as Ice Cold Brew, and the reason that came about is because I'm very much a uh, drink connoisseur. Yes. Uh, I love bartending. I love being a barista. I love mixology. Yes. And so when I have an episode talking about that, I'm typically the one of the go-to people in both my partner's life and now my mother's life where it's, hey, I need a recipe that fits these. And I just say, make this with this. Yes. But if you don't have this, you can mix it with this instead to get the same thing. And and uh, we've actually talked about it before. I think we had like a, an episode where we, like one of the topics was, oh, I got a really cool recipe book and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I will also add that I I have no idea about drinks. Every time I've tried to mix drinks, I've been like, I don't know. I have no idea about how to mix drinks. So if people want to learn some little little facts and little trivia bits um go ahead subscribe to the patreon i think by the end of the month we should have a bonus episode up mm -hmm. um and i i'm excited it's 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 a very loosey-goosey kind of thing planned for that where we're just going to be talking about whatever and sort of see how it comes up and you can enjoy spending some time with us yeah yeah who knows maybe uh maybe if you get a seat at the table next over uh you can mm -hmm. also recommend some topics for us to talk about and then we'll be really yeah. confused if we know nothing about it that's a very good point, because um, we will also have a thing. So the tiers are, number one, coffee table, because we I was going for the table comedy thing. 
where you can pay $2.99 USD a month. And for that, you know, give us support. We much appreciate it. But if you go up to tier two, which is seat at the table uh, for $4.99 USD a month, uh, you can join our Discord community and also void, uh, void, void? vote on future content for future episodes, such as whether we, we talk about drinks or, or the other topics or whatever. Um, and so you will be actively shaping the podcast as it goes and the behind the scenes podcast. And uh, if you want to have a listen to that podcast, you have to subscribe to the the next table over, which is $6.99, uh, which is once a month, get access to the bonus podcast where we talk about just about anything. That's that one. And then there's the VIP table where you pay for, uh, $49.99 a month uh, to get your name shout out on the podcast at the end of the things mm-hmm. we're doing shout outs. And yeah, that's, 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 that's Patreon news. Be sure to check that out at patreon.com slash inside of the table. Not sure if we said that, but we have good brand synergy with inside the table. So be sure to check that out. Um, besides that, what's been going on? Cole, what has been inspiring you lately? I'm going to start off with a little, the little lesser known thing, because we have one thing that's very similar for the both of us. But yes. um, I'm finally getting into uh, reading a book I've had in my backpack for a hot minute called uh, The City okay. We Became by uh, N.K. Jemison or Nora mm-hmm. Jemison, uh, writer of the Inheritance Trilogy, uh, Shattered Earth Trilogy, a whole bunch of very, very fun books. Yeah. And I, I'm loving the pace and tempo of this game. It's about a homeless person um, who is an street artist. will use like whatever paint and such and will just kind of draw whatever, but eventually realized, oh, if I just draw like holes around the city, I let the city breathe and mm. come to behold. There's like a person named Paulo uh, who is Brazilian. And there's a reason for that, who is uh, basically training this person to become a city personified and mm-hmm. there's like uh some kind of conflict going on where there are these eldritch beings trying to keep the cities asleep and basically not let these cities be born into mm. whatever they are it i love the uh within the first few chapters you get like a feeling that the city is literally alive and you get that like kind of eerie feeling of hearing the breath coming out of the city and breathing back in and all that kind of stuff um, yeah. I'm only a few chapters in so far, but right now I'm really enjoying it. It's been a very nice read. Uh, so I've I've also read like the first couple of chapters years and years ago. I'm terrible with reading. And so I was just like reading through that and it was a library book and it was like time to return. And I'm like, oh, I do want to keep going, but I'm also like terrible at reading. So I returned it. Um, but it's like it's the 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 characters in it. Like there's five characters for each of the boroughs of New York. Is that right? Um, I don't think so. I might not have gotten to that part yet. Is that not? Five borough. Oh, you might be thinking of the Dimension 20 thing. No, I'm sure of this. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to go, I'm going to go read the spoilers. Yeah. There's Manny, the avatar of Manhattan. Brooklyn MC Free Thomason, the avatar of Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Bronca. Okay. And so, so, so all these people, the people you come across and stuff like that are okay, all so, like avatars and stuff like that so that part i haven't been introduced to them yet right spoilers sorry yeah, <laughs> sorry. yeah. um but uh yeah that's that's the sort of thing and i've sort of like 
I it reminds me a lot of uh, Neverwhere a little bit, which is also one of the things that inspired the uh, Dimension Twenty thing, mm-hmm. which I've forgotten already. Um, where it's like similarly like spe- uh, important locations are sort of like personified in people. Um, and it's great. It's like from what I read of it, it was really cool, and the fact that like it's not just a bunch of white people <laughs> as well. Yeah, you know, it's very explicitly not. So yeah, sorry, <laughs> but that's, that's the plot line <laughs> as I understand it. Well, shit. Uh, now I definitely have to read it. Yeah, um, I think I've actually read the summary for this book, and that's I know who the enemy is, mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. So I will I will say no more. But it's good. Yeah, no, I've just been enjoying it, and I had a nice little day where I spent a morning at a coffee shop. Uh, mm-hmm. pet some dogs and uh god i had a lot of coffee that day now that i think about it. i had a uh just like a regular <laughs> yeah. i had a regular pour over uh that was pretty pricey not gonna lie mm-hmm. and then after that i got a shot of espresso with some sparkling water on the side chug that yeah. chug the sparkling water and um decided after i finished drinking that like i have had too much caffeine and yeah. left but i got through a, a few good chapters after that point that's good. Did you like do what I do, which is like after you read a good book, you're like, ah, oh, I've got to fucking make something. I got to I got to write something now. I'm, I'm enjoying this idea too much or I got to start watching YouTube clips. Unfortunately, no, because uh, what ended up happening after we d- I did that was I had to help prep for a party as well. We were going to right. a friend's apartment. So I was like, OK, I got to get this ready. I got to make sure we have all this food I have to filter out my horchata and uh get that ready to go and then put that in the fridge so it chills in time uh right. i have to go pull down the cooler get some ice packs in there to figure out what right. else we're taking so no i i did not have time to chill sadly i would love to have like four more hours in the day to do whatever <laughs> yeah the dream i'm excited to hear hear more updates on, on the city we became yeah i can't wait to finish reading it yeah find out what, what it's about uh what, what else are we we've both been checking out another thing yeah, it's the uh, new hotness finally released from beta, uh, Baldur's <laughs> Gate 3, which is the game that all AAA studios says should not be the standard. And no. lo and behold, it should be the standard. Yeah, it's really good. It's like as much as we talk talk shit about D&D, it is this is the best way to probably play D&D in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it. It's like a computer game, so you don't have to keep track of inventory and stuff like that. Uh, and the roles are really nice. The roles are really clever. And yeah, can I ask how many natural ones have you rolled so far? I don't know. I don't like. There's combat natural ones. I've had like I remember seeing that once or twice, but like. I know how to fucking save scope. I don't need to worry about actual in, in like uh, checks and stuff like that. Don't be foolish. <laughs> but uh, no, I I think it's really fun whenever because uh, I've seen videos of folks who play rogue or bard, and you know you get all these different bonuses and such. And then you, yes, uh, I don't think that's a spoiler, but like within the first thirty minutes of the game, you can find a cleric who will cast guidance on you, which gives you a D four bonus to mm-hmm. skill checks. And what I think is really funny to me is like you can have all these different bonuses and the game will still tell you natural one. Yep. You fail. 
Yeah, automatic failure. Just the same as like a natural 20 is an automatic success, no matter what. Uh, yeah. You have a 5% chance of succeeding or failing. Um, and I think that's really cool. Like there's something about the way you roll a dice because I played this in early access and before it was like it rolled a dice and added the things after the fact. But when you're rolling it now, it just like it rolls the dice and then it just like has all these fairy sprinkles and all this like mm -hmm. sound design as the number goes up and you're just like, yes, this is what D&D &D is. I don't have to do any math. This is fantastic. Yeah. I love that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. uh, um, what what character did you make and how long did you spend in the character generator? I made the Joker. I am playing the Joker. <laughs> it was very funny to me that I was it's like it's the same thing where I just like whenever I sit down to make a character, I never have any idea what I'm going to do. I was like even thinking about like, OK, when I get into Baldur's Gate, what, am, what kind of character am I going to play? Am I going to try and play a pacifist? No, that's not going to be any fun. Am I going to try and play a very violent person? No, that's not going to be any fun. I'm going to be sort of like in the middle. I was thinking maybe I could play like a, a sort of like kind of like a, I've, I've been watching Deadwood. I'm going to play a Seth Bullock type, which is like they're a lawman because I feel like these games sort of make you do cop stuff a lot. <laughs> yep. Um, and I'll just be decent and I will not be corruptible or whatever. And then as I was making characters, I realized one of the haircuts looked a lot like the Joker's haircut. And I realized that you could do like a thing with the color. You can have like little green highlights. And I was just like, all right, I'm going to commit. I'm going to become a drow that is the Joker who's, who's had their memory wiped. And they have these weird violent impulses as part of the, the backstory. And so I'm just walking around and I have these desires like, I want to kill this squirrel. And I'm like, I don't want to do this thing. I want to become a good, nice person. But then, but then this, the devil, devil comes out. Um, I, you know, you say this, that's straight up a comic book plot line from the Batman. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% certain it is. It's the White Knight series. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, he like becomes the good guy or something and Batman's the bad one. Um, yeah, Batman's just convinced he's conning everyone. It's like, no, the Joker is genuinely being a good person here. Yeah. And there's like a nice little reveal at the end too about it. It's really cool. And like the fact is with the game, uh, when you make like a character, you also make the guardian who was previously your love interest or something in, in the, in the uh, early access. And I was like, Hmm. Yeah. Who should, who should the guardian, who should be the sort of the, the white knight, if you will, of the, of the Joker, who should this be? And so I made Batman. <laughs> and so, correct answer. Correct <laughs> answer. Batman, who's a tiefling with huge straight horns and like like face paint and weird devil eyes, is going to show up. It's kind of like how the how Batman appeared in in Batman Begins, where he had like the fear toxins and stuff. And again, I've never seen that in the early access or in uh, this version. Like what happens with this character when they're introduced? but I am very excited for when that does happen. And yeah, I'm very excited. I'm in the early part of the game before it gets too weird racially between mm -hmm. the drow and the goblins and the and the druids and stuff. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. I previously played this and actually streamed it on my on my uh, uh, Twitch, on my YouTube channel as well. Uh, mine are Lenin. Um, and I got to a point where I was like, had to pick between goblins and the... the um, Drow? Not the drow. The drow's on their side. The druids. And then I stopped. 
and I was just like, I don't really enjoy this anymore. Um, I've seen there's a way you can just bypass all that. But yeah, I'm curious to see how this one goes with Joker. How about you? I I didn't make my character according to anyone. I because I played a little bit pre-access. Uh, I love the character customization there. And mm-hmm. then when the full game came out, I had to, of course, remake my whole character again. Yeah. And uh, when I did that, I realized I added another option that makes this game very much more explicit if uh, I were to yes. stream it, which gave me a very hearty chuckle. I loved it. Yes. I, uh, but you're talking, of course, about eye customization. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Look, I can have demon eyes. I can have angelic eyes. I can have heterochromia. It's like high. It's like my middle school OC all over again. Heavens. Yeah. <laughs> Once an a- This is a child. Their mom's an angel. Their dad's a devil. Yeah. Uh, I was so tempted to make like the 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 goth, uh, you know, whatever the the super dark moody person, but yeah, <laughs> I ended up making that my guardian instead. I uh yeah, I made uh just a little dwarf paladin, and Aww. I'm kind of I'm gonna make the uh make them, and I specifically like uh went for non-binary everything. I did yeah. make their hair bisexual colors because I realized I could do that. And I was like, oh, that's fun. I love this. I love this for me specifically. <laughs> and uh, I was going to go like, well, yeah, I think uh, I'll make them an o- uh, Paladin Oath of Vengeance just for fun. And yes. uh, about an hour and a half into the game, I immediately broke my oath trying to help out a person from the uh, beginning sequence. Yes. Uh and so I'm like, hmm, do I save scum here or do I roll with it? I looked it up online. They're like, you have to pay 2000 gold to fix your oath. And I'm like, I feel like I made a bad decision somewhere. Wait, I think we could probably go into this. What do you mean by that? Um, so when you uh, there is a, f- uh, a Githyanki friend of yours who gets. Yes. The, uh, she gets caught in a cage and there are two tieflings going. We have this prisoner. We can arrest her. You can talk them into lowering the cage and be like, oh, don't worry, I'll help you. Oath of Vengeance yeah. Paladin. I'm such a trustworthy guy. I'm only here to right the wrongs. And yeah. then I immediately uh, betrayed them to help out because I'm like, I don't know you two. I know her and I'm going to help her. You're not going to join my party. Yeah. And um, as soon as I uh, killed them, the game immediately went, all right, Congratulations, you feel a headache and you pass out, and uh, there's a big scary guy with a thick Scottish accent telling you you fucked up. What? Yeah, you have broken your oath, Paladin. Uh, I will see you this evening. Who is this? Who is this Scottishman? Uh, it's the, it's like uh, the Paladin of Oaths, like he's the one who basically polices you. Okay. Uh, hold that on, sounds... let me see if I can pull up a name. Alright. Just for all uh, Paladins? all paladins weird i didn't come across this game has a lot of like fun hidden stuff like that yeah what's this guy's fucking name official meeting with the oathbreaker after you commit any of these acts the oathbreaker knight will appear in a cutscene and summon you to pay him a visit the next time you take a long rest the paladin will be at your camp and you can speak to him to learn a little bit about his history and what it means to be an oathbreaker from here out, you can either accept your new powers as an oathbreaker or pay a penance fee to restore your oath. Obviously, That's if you easy. want to be an oathbreaker, then don't pay the fee. Instead, accept your n- new path. You'll be given new paladin specific abilities I can assign to your hotbar. That's cool. I yeah. like that. 
Yeah. And also, it's very easy to pay that amount. I don't know how how much it is, but like I found it very easy to make money in this game because you just collect trash and sell it. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's the best thing that they've done so far to really make it feel like level one D&D adventure is yeah. you literally pick up everything, shove it into a bag, then you walk to the store <laughs> and you dump it in front of the shopkeeper. <laughs> yeah. Here's 15 spoons. Buy them from me. They're a gold piece each. I had to get to a point where I had to start dividing up all the loot among my party. Mm. And uh, I did try at one point seeing if I could just like pick up a chest or something and have that be my backpack kind of inside my backpack. Yeah, that makes it heavier. Yeah. (laughs) So I basically like picked it up and threw it the next thing. Um, Yeah. Another fun thing you can do, you can throw bodies, which I I found very enjoyable. You can throw bodies, you can throw health potions at people to heal them, you can jump everywhere. Like in the early access, you just like jumped all the time, and that was your way of disengaging, because disengagement was still being worked out. Oh, it's great. You can throw everything. It's that's mm-hmm. the most fun thing. You just reach you can throw your shoes at people. <laughs> Incredible. I bequeath to you a boot to the head. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but I'm also like, stuff is on the horizon. Hmm. And we'll see how that goes. It's also very funny to be like, playing the Joker and someone's like, ah, oh, you're a drow, are you? I know you're bad. And just like, what are you talking about? I'm the crown prince of crime. You don't know me. And it's very funny. Yeah. I need to play it more. I, I will eventually, I just haven't had time right now. Yeah, it's been kind of like it's a strange kind of thing where I'm just like, I know this is going to be 100 hours long, mm-hmm. but I'm enjoying it. I'm like, I'm not overwhelmed by that right now. And I can just like sit down and just kind of enjoy it while it's happening. That won't last, but I'm enjoying yeah. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to meet the folks who say, yeah, my friends and I all like spend three hours once uh, once or twice a month on this mm. night specifically to just play through a session together. Yeah. And it's really hard to keep track because there's so many fucking options and we all keep wandering away from each other. It's so funny. I played uh, a Divinity Original Sin with some friends before. Yeah. And like the entire time, because I'd like, I played like the opening little area, the opening 24 hours, the opening island. And so whenever I came across a book, I already read it. And so I just gave it to my friend and I just made him read all these books. And it's so funny, like, he's just reading while I'm like, oh, I'm just having cool adventures, I'm interacting with people, whatever. Read this book, it'll give you information about what's going on. Here's mm-hmm, a note. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Amazing. So, that having been discussed, let's talk about tabletop RPGs that we have been checking out. Yeah. Um, I want to start with one of yours. Uh, tell me about... Band of Blades. I really want to hear about this. Yeah. So Band of Blades, uh, which is the game they are playing over at our friends over at Oath Sworn, mm-hmm. uh, is a it's a dark fantasy military RPG, essentially. Yes. It's essentially dark fantasy and that there is a war against a threat that can raise the undead and mm-hmm. you are on the losing side and you are fleeing from them. Yeah. Um, this is a game by Stra- uh, Strauss Asimo- Asimovic and John yeah. LaBeouf Little. Fresh. Yeah. Which are names that we've heard of. They made Scum and Villainy as well. And yes. I I like that this is still Forged in the Dark, but they take such a very different approach to it. Essentially, what this game is about in the end is there are two levels of play. 
there are mm-hmm. you and the squad, and then there are you controlling the Legion. The Legion is a mercenary company that has been routed from uh, the threat of the undead, a.k.a. the Cinder King and his foes and mm-hmm. uh, the people you you that were divinely chosen to lead you to battle. More than half of them have betrayed you and become called what have been called broken. And they all have their own abilities and such. Uh, the setting so far is here we go. When humanity is in true peril and affairs of the supernatural plague the world, the gods create one or more chosen. These powerful champions are imbued with aspects of the deity in question. They ride forth to vanquish mythic beasts, mend rifts in the world, and seal away curses. When the Cinder King rose in the west, an unheard of nine chosen arose. When they faced the Cinder King, five were broken and turned to fight at his side. A desperate army was assembled by the remaining chosen and led to fight a final decisive battle on the plains of Ettenmark. Humanity lost. They did not expect the horrors the broken brought to bear. Now in retreat, a famous band of mercenaries seek to stem the tide of the Cinder King, hoping to buy time for the Eastern Kingdom to mount some wild hope, some wild plan to keep humanity alive. And yeah, that's kind of the setup, the story that gets you into the game. And the whole mm-hmm. point is you are traveling along a dangerous route, uh, yeah. helping villages, being impeded by m- many other factors and things along those lines. And uh, you're just trying to make your way to Sky Dagger Keep in order to, one, be accepted by the Eastern Kingdoms and to to hopefully mount some kind of a uh, final stand. Yeah. And it's the like setting itself supposed to be very European, re- Eastern European Renaissance or uh, European Renaissance, I should say. Uh, yeah. So pistols are there. There's black. Uh, there's black powder. There's muskets, uh, cannons, siege weapons. Uh, but and you do have steam machines as well, too. I remember that being a note, but they're very big. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch a uh, Cabinari of the. Uh, Iron Fortress. It's an anime about zombies taking over, essentially. No. Um, I will add it to my watch list, though. Yeah. Uh, I've only finished the first season of that, but it is essentially an anime where mo- many people uh, survive by traveling on trains for the most part. There mm. is a zombie outbreak that is very mysterious and weird. It's not like the usual one. They like glow red. Uh, yeah. I highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, it looks cool. Oh, yeah. You know, it does come back to my, my usual thing of why do post-apocalypses have trains? Because I feel like if global warming happens or if there's a bunch of zombies, it would just be unfeasible to have trains. Like, just have cars or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, the big things I took away from this, and I really love this idea of just, like, yeah, you have these chosen avatars of God. Um and those kind of work as your crew playbook, in a sense. But on top of that, they also work to define the tone of your setting in the same way. Oh, right. And in the same way that you're uh, the broken. Also, you get to pick two broken that you are fight- facing off against and trying to flee from. And they mm-hmm. have their own motivations and their own ideas and thoughts. But they also have uh, they set the tone in different ways. Um just kind of give an example. So for the chosen, there are three that you can pick. I bet you can come up with some like really cool alternative chosen if you want to make mm. a supplement for this game. 
But uh, there's Shreya, who is a powerful warrior chosen by the Barton Healer Goddess. She is focused on military actions and strategy. There's the Horned One, a mysterious shapeshifter chosen by the Panyar Forest God, focused on oh. mysterious powers and clever ruses. Cool. And then Zora. Zora? Yeah, Zora is probably one of the cooler oh. fucking ones. A fierce ancient Zemyadi chosen who constantly tests her followers, focused on mighty battles and direct assault of the undead. She's one of the interesting ones because she is actually one of the chosens who have been and set as immortal. Like she can die if she gets, you know, killed in combat and stabbed and poisoned. But yeah. for all intents and purposes, she is immortal and is apparently like the most uh human like like the easiest to get along with of the chosen left over yeah and then you have the broken who were once chosen then corrupted by the cinder king in a variety of ways they have like their own little backstories of how they became corrupted and then what their motivations are That's and what so their connections cool. are to the chosen too such as a uh, blighter who is a warper of flesh and corrupt alchemist involves themes of body horror and toxic science and uh she is actually shreya's ex they were both chosen oh. at different times, and uh, but when Blighter became broken, uh, Shreya felt like it's her own personal duty to uh, put her to rest. And I think there's like a fun like there's a subplot there that we can talk about, but I don't think the squad really gets to know because they're not the main characters in a sense. Yeah. Uh, you have Breaker, who is a storm witch and hex carver, involves themes of tension, uncertainty, and psychological horror. And then you have Render, a monstrous hulk and smith of armored troops, involves themes of the de depersonalization of war and totalitarianism. Interesting. Yeah. So it's almost like they're taking all these characters to talk about, like, famous heroes of war and the way that, like, war shapes people and, like... Mm -hmm. it's sort of like i don't know it's it's interesting it almost makes me think of like like uh lord of the rings and like how helms deep and stuff happened how there's like these great heroes and then there's the other people around them and people who betray them and stuff like that yeah and it's like not something i was expecting yeah it i i think it's even fascinating like i look at this and i'm like i was thinking about earlier where um in Lord of the Rings, you know, you have Aragorn and uh, you mm -hmm. have Gandalf the White. You know, what if they just straight up got rocked and yeah. uh, were broken by Sauron and um, uh, the one who can't be killed by men and then uh, gets slayed by a woman because she's like, I am no man. Yeah, I, I always thought that was really interesting. I do like that this helps set the tone and you can interact mm -hmm. with these uh, folks as NPCs, but you're never really in control of them. And in fact, that interacting with them is its own danger of itself what like there's a yeah uh because like so again treya for example she does not if you have a there is a different type of damage you have to worry about this called corruption mm -hmm. and this is kind of how the center king raises their undead this is how they control armies and how they were able to be so uh, uncontrollable and unstoppable and mm. once you take enough corruption you take something called blight and if shreya finds out that you have blight on you she kills you on the spot because wow. she is uh chosen by the barton healer goddess who is a goddess of mercy right and not in a uh and mercy as in quick swift painless death yeah 
<laughs> it's um, like it's the zombie thing where it's, it's, you find someone's infected so you kill them immediately rather than helping them out yeah which is it's interesting that's not like seen as as that's that's challenged that idea is challenged in this thing yeah uh hold on let me find the little short story because there's a very fascinating short story that talks about the chosen mm-hmm. uh on this um here we go the chosen and broken sometimes Late at night, when my leg pains me, I walk to the walls and volunteer to stand guard, and often find the Chosen there, motionless, staring out into the darkness towards where our enemy is. At the start of our journey east, I would sketch her bold profile in charcoal, trying to capture some spark of what she is in my art. I wasn't with the Legion five years ago when the choosing happened. I remembered climbing up to a rooftop with some friends and a few bottles of Orite golden wine, to watch the Chosen mounted on their stallions, riding out amidst cheers and showers of colored grain thrown in celebration. We thought this whole Cinder King mess would be over by that winter. Nine Chosen rode out, and surely nothing could stand against such power. We were so young, and I was so full of laughter. So much has happened to me since the Legion, Ettenmark, all the blood and screams and forced marches, fighting in desperation to save the person next to you, hoping they could do the same. I wonder how much of the girl full of laughter from the rooftop is left in me. I spent that night on the wall, sketching memories of Orr and the person I remember seeing before she was chosen. I wonder how much of the person before the choosing was left in her. I awoke the next morning with our chosen's face inches from mine. After a few moments, she leaned in until her lips were right by my ear. I remembered that she smelled faintly of blood, sweet fruit, and summer heat. Not much, she whispered, and in a smooth motion, stood up and was gone from my tent. When I stand watch, I don't stare at her anymore. Dame Michaela Savrelli, all right, Legionnaire. That's fucking rad. That's incredible. (laughs) They're just like these fucking letters from this one person who got injured on the front line, and they're so fucking fascinating. I love that. So, like... I mean, one, I want to say that reminds me very strongly of Berserk, which is a thing I really like. Yeah. An enemy I really like. Uh, but two, who are you playing as? Like, what is, like, you've spoken a lot about the Chosen, but just, like... Yeah. You said you won't be playing as them. Who who are you... What are your characters like? How does how does that function? Yeah, so this is a game where... um, It's very fascinating. So you you go on two missions, and you have uh, squads that you can play as. There's a Mm -hmm. whole variety of squads, all under the command of a marshal, and then there is a commander who tells you what the missions are and assigns out roles in that way. The marshal takes those roles, gives them to squads, and decides who fits where and and how. But you can play a whole bunch of classes, actually, technically. There There are your two basic playbooks. There is the Rookie which is an untested recruit and will probably be the one you play the most often because uh, and will also have killed the most often, I should say, because instead of getting four boxes for trauma, you get one straight up, just one for the rookie. If you are playing a soldier or a specialist, you get two until you take an ability that gives you more. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the same. And it, the rookies are basically like the younger folks of the squad. They don't really have a lot of abilities. They know how to fight and move and consult with people, but mm-hmm. they don't have special abilities. They don't get to move up to soldier until they leveled up twice and they get promoted. Yeah. And then you go to the soldier playbook uh, afterward and you 
uh, pick up a new ability there and you get grit as well, which is like your spark or your special armor that you can mm-hmm. use to expend to do special abilities. They're more hardened veterans. They're more uh, they've seen more on the field and they are fewer and far between compared to the rookies that you can pick up. And yeah. uh, uh, once you actually level up enough in your skills and you have these mashing starting actions of a specialist that you want to be, you can then get your specialist trained to be promoted to a heavy oh. a medic, an officer, a scout or a sniper. That's fascinating. So you like graduate into a different playbook. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Because like I'm noticing this now. Uh, the soldier specifically. So the rookie has one point in skirmish, one point in maneuver, one point in consort. Mm-hmm. The soldier has one point in grit, one point in skirmish, one point in maneuver, one point in consort. Mm-hmm. When you promote, you're still technically a rookie. You just you have a little extra special something compared to everyone else. Right. That's really cool. But then we go uh, we go into all the specialist playbooks. So let me start from mm-hmm. the top here, which I believe should be heavy. I will also get into uh, loadouts as well, too, because they are also it's very fascinating how loadouts work so differently yeah. compared to this beam saber. Mm. Uh, so the heavy is like is uh, your cutter, essentially their guardian, powerful melee fighter. Uh, mm-hmm. They get more into the uh, wreck of things. They have your bulwark ability. They have your backup. Uh, they can prevent, they suffer less harm than folks. They have potency when it comes to using weapons. They are very destructive. They have fine hand weapons, fine heavy weapons, uh, shields, uh, whole, they're basically like the pack mule and also the brawler of the group and Mm -hmm. has some nice abilities go with it too. That you can eventually move them up. You have the medic which is probably a class I would take and also is probably one of the harder specialist tra- uh, specialist classes to be moved up to because you need a point in doctor, two points in research, and a one point right. in discipline in order to become a medic. Yeah, and, just like uh, in real life. Just yeah. like in real life, you need to go to medical school to become a medic. <laughs> yeah, gotta get that point in discipline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, a lot of the abilities remind me very much of the Stitcher Mm-hmm. From a uh, scum and villainy, because you aren't just healing people of harm, you're also healing their stress and taking yeah. care of them in that way. Uh, and you are also because you are a, a follower of the God of Mercy, uh, you can do two things. One, you can straight up take harm for someone. If someone takes a level two harm, broken arm, you can say, no, yeah. actually, it's going to go to my medic. And that medic. Oh, this is where the dark fantasy comes in. Arm immediately breaks. So then you take the level two harm instead. Oh, my God. So so it's it's not like everyone can do that. I know in like standard blades of the dark, a- yeah. anyone can basically take an injury for someone else. But I guess is this a thing where the medic can literally just like after it's been dealt, just take it on board or. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, no, no. I got that mixed up. That's actually an ability of one of the downtime things that can happen. Uh, Marsites, I think, are what they call it, if I remember right. But they essentially take harm for you, so you have an extra healing tick. Uh, you can cool. you have one more healing tick or anything along those lines in order to get better. Uh, you have the officer, which if you have an officer in your squad, they're automatically the leader for every mission. Typically, mm-hmm. if you don't have an officer in your squad, the marshal will select someone 
uh, will select someone to be the officer. So it could be a corporal who is the heavy. They will be in charge. Like there are different ranks, but then there are people specifically trained to command. Uh, they mm-hmm. will go whoever has the most experience or they will go with the person literally called the officer. How, how does command work? So by command, do you mean like commanding forces and like telling people what to do? Or do you mean as in the overhead faction game that this game also has rolled into it? Uh, I mean, first, well, let's start with the, the one where the, the officer has command over the group. Yeah. And then let's perhaps go into that. Although I do want to hear about load still. I'm very yes. curious. Yeah. So um, essentially... When you have missions selected for you by the marshal, uh, by the commander and the marshal picks it up, the marshal will assign someone to be the commanding officer. They, at mm. the end of the day, will be the one to decide what the squad does. And then this game encourages player character versus player character and that uh, it's OK. Uh, they actually use the example of just going, OK, Marley, I know you and Devin are both saying you want to do two different things. Is this your character's doing this? How are you approaching this? Can your character mm-hmm. be swayed to do this? Or is this you putting uh, putting your foot down as the commanding officer? Right. Um, and, and so, so you, you that, can, like, break ties almost. Yeah. All right. And uh, it basically goes to, okay, well, then, if this is what you want, if you can be swayed to do this, uh, let's go into a role and we'll respect what the role is. If you get a four to five, then there will be a consequence. Maybe it's lesser effect or maybe it's something else. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, an interesting thing they did in the example of this is like one of the specialists, the heavy wants to escort kids away from the mission site. But the squad commander is saying, no, we have to continue on with the mission. The mission mm-hmm. takes priority. And uh, the, uh, so they'll step out character real quick, say, can this be swayed? How does this sound? What do you do? And uh, the uh, first command was, uh, we have to do this. We have to continue going forward, but rolled with a lesser effect. So the person said, well, I know that one person's not going to make the difference for a mission. Let me just focus on escorting these people back and we will, I will do that. And you can continue on the mission. And they rolled mm-hmm. a six on that. And I was like, cool, we can respect that. This character is now currently out of the mission. Pick up a rookie playbook, pick up a rookie character yeah. sheet and uh, start telling me what that person does and write a quick note. Because another fascinating thing about this is you trade characters around too. not everyone's going to be playing yeah. the same character the entire time. And like everyone's so disposable in a really interesting way that you don't like spend your whole time with a crew of people, you know, you're an army, basically. Yeah, they really wanted to hone in on this is dark fantasy. It's very much. Mm. People who you love to see and work with may not survive the next mission. They might not even survive downtime. Like, again, the yeah. the Chosen are there to help and be a threat as well. Okay. Yeah. Like, the whole corruption thing or uh, yeah. the Horned One is all about, like, sneaking around, getting information, getting logistics, and taking stuff. Uh, Zora has lived for a very long time. And wants to test your metal a lot, and that means sometimes trading blows. Wow, fuck! <laughs> These people sound awful. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, that's another thing too. Uh, let me wait. I didn't finish all the playbooks. Let me do that one real quick. So we have the officer, of course, who can take command. Typically, mm. set stuff up. Uh, only needs two points in sway and one point in channel in order to be promoted to such. 
Yeah. And uh, very low, <laughs> very yeah. low requirements, which is very funny. Yeah. I think it makes <laughs> sense that the medic needs high requirements. The officer needs like you just need to get like a few points. You'll be fine. You just need to have the right parent or something. <laughs> yeah. And again, according to what chosen uh, chosen you pick and what abilities you pick from from that chosen, you could honestly mm-hmm. get closer and closer to that fairly easily. Interesting. You also have the scout as well who you know it's supposed to be basically like your uh shadow type just kind of sneaking around finding stuff figuring out where things are giving you a heads up stuff like that and then of course you have the sniper which is still one of my favorite classes in general even if i am bad at aiming yeah it's it's such an interesting thing because like in other games it's very rare to have like most most tabletop rpgs for some reason or another doesn't have much use for a sniper like just because, like, they're sitting on a hill and watching over things rather than being directly involved in the situation. Like, having a sniper rifle doesn't make sense when you're face-to-face with a monster. But it's it's so interesting that this game, like, is explicitly about war and explicitly having you play combat parts. And so you have, like, you know, descriptions and, like, uh, uh, you know, moments where a sniper could be useful. And that's amazing. Oh, yeah. Actually, let me read this ability because I just saw this one. Sniper special abilities, one eye. You replaced an eye with an alchemical construct. You can see invisible targets clearly and identify supernatural forces. What the fuck? That's like some dishonored shit. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it. Uh, notches. If you land a killing blow on a threat to or higher opponent, mark one XP in any category. <laughs> I love that it's notches. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, going into loadouts. Mm-hmm. So versus what is typically what it is in blades and dark which is i'm doing heavy load i'm doing light load i'm doing medium load uh mm-hmm. load in band of blades works a bit differently they have their standard gear mm-hmm. but uh load dictates again what they look like and also what they're allowed to bring as well to get into it your selected load determines what items you carry with you at a given load you gain all the items of that level and below some specialists at some loads allow for a choice between items for example Mm -hmm. a heavy at normal load can take either a shield or a large weapon in addition to the items that are part of your load you also have two utility load that you can spend for additional equipment some items require two utility load that's going to be stuff like armor that's going to be stuff like heavy weapon if you don't have one already uh cooking kits you need to make food so you should bring a cooking kit yeah one of them is winter clothing which Mm -hmm. i fucking love that's yeah such an it's like what does it do nothing it just protects you against the the storms it's just like a thing that you have to keep yeah which is i love that so like for heavy if you're the heavy and you pick heavy load you can get a fine wrecking kit vials of Mm -hmm. acid small chemical hand charges mallets and spikes pry bars axes drills you get a fine tower shield great like it like a dark souls thing yeah the medic's light load is holy symbol of mercy a uh, mark of yeah. the healing goddess, which is a literal sigil of folded wings that are branded on you. Cool. Good. Uh, tonics. Uh, I love that the medics is mostly tonics. Like you get tonics at light yeah. load. You get tonics at normal load. You get tonics at heavy load. <laughs> yeah. Like it's 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 so interesting because like when, when I think of light, normal, heavy in this context, I'm thinking about like, oh, this is like, you know, you'll load out in a video game. Like you come in, do I have the, the light load, which is like a pistol and whatever else. And mm-hmm. like the heavy load is like a grenade launcher and stuff. But like, as you say, for the for the medic, it is just two extra bits of tonic that you can just use, yeah. which is really fun. 
Yeah, versus like I love that the scout heavy load is they get camo gear. Mm-hmm. They can actually like set up camp and then they get fine armor as well. Yeah. I love how useful heavy load is of just like you get this protection for free if you choose mm. this. However, you will be spotted no matter what. That's really interesting. A uh, sniper either gets two fine pistols or one fine long rifle at lo- uh, light load. Or if they go heavy, they get both, which, again, very nice. Right. That's yeah. really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, I-, I love how the load works for this game. Just like it kind of makes it to where like, well, I don't need to think about it too, too much. I just need to think what my utility items are. And that takes a lot of pressure off of me. Mm-hmm. And it kind of encourages you to lean into your playbook too it really encourages you to just like focus on uh what you need to do uh to be more effective yeah in an almost D like class assignment kind of way i will say yeah and it, it's it's really fun because like again every mission you pick what you need and so if you have a mission that would make sense to have a sniper there you just make up a sniper really quickly and just like have that uh, yeah. on hand um yeah. Um, let me go into the, the Legion roles, which is, I mm. love that this game has like a faction overhead as well too, in the same way I'd feel like I would be playing like civilization or crusader Kings or, uh, risk. And that you have a commander who is in charge of tracking time and position. You have three, 10, uh, 10 piece clocks that you have to fill in as time passes. If all three of those fill and you're not Scott, I, uh, sky dagger keep by then the game ends, you are cut off. Uh, right. You also are tracking uh, you're tracking what else? It's like pressure, uh, which is how much like how close are the enemy forces to you? You mm-hmm. are figuring out what the intel is and then uh, you are ordering the advance. Also, this is, again, you're like working with a quartermaster and you're working with a marshal and whoever else in order to get an idea of like what should the next step be? And mm-hmm. uh, intel is something that is like your resource to use. You can be use that to get better missions, improve odds and missions you select, know more about the missions before you select them. And it's very mm-hmm. precious. It's like using uh it's like uh using uh fate points and fate games, essentially. Yeah. You can get them back, it's hard to do so, but and they are but they are very good to use. Yeah. Um there are also a whole bunch of questions of like depending on how much intel you have that you can ask. Such as if for the zero one, what's the highest threat we can expect on these missions? How much travel should we expect for the mission? What would be a useful item? What are two approaches we could use here versus the uh, three or more intel, which is what is the weakness of a lieutenant we've encountered previously? What special missions have we heard of at a location ahead? What is a specific Hmm. broken researching? That's really cool. So you get like little like clues about like what projects are going on and stuff like that yeah it's it's like you're doing the investigation clock to find out what another faction is doing but this <laughs> it's you are exchanging a resource to know more and you have to hold a certain number of resource in order to ask these questions that's really cool uh i think it's spy master specifically that can get you more intel uh to add on but at the same time, I think having that as another role makes it more difficult in the long run, too, because, like, you can lose your spies very uh, much easier if you do that. The next role after that is the marshal who uh, knows the morale of the Legion. And depending on the morale of the Legion is how many downtime actions they can take or the quartermaster can take specifically. 
It decreases from mission penalties when soldiers die or when the quartermaster must lose supply and they have none. They, of course, assign, I've mentioned it before, but they assign who goes on and leads missions. They track their squads and the number of specialists. Uh, the game starts with five specialists. Mm-hmm. So essentially one person says, I'll be this playbook for this one. And then everyone else says, cool, I'm being a rookie yeah, or a soldier. And uh, they fill out your starting squad. The Legion starts with all six squads full of rook- rookies in the same way that like uh, XCOM kind of works, where like you have yeah. to you have to send out your shit folks in order to train them up, make them better. Yeah. Have a squad and B squad and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, they have like a 60 percent chance of succeeding and then they uh, miss a point blank target by hitting the wall right next to them. There's a yeah. f- fantastic clip of that somewhere. Uh, you are responsible for detailing them only when they are needed for now. Detail the one sent on the starting mission. The marshal will typically make the engagement rolls and ensure legionnaires advance. I, I like that it kind of takes off some of the pressure of the GM to where the GM just really needs to worry about the undead and what the broken are doing and then setting up missions mm. while the rest of the table will work around that and go, OK, we'll do everything else. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really neat. You have some really fun legion squads too you have stuff like the ember wolves vanguard of the legion they are the first unit sent into battle shock troopers their squad motto Mm -hmm. is first into the fray you have the grinning ravens the backbone of the legion the most numerous squad we laugh Mm -hmm. their squad motto is we laugh at death star vipers and darkness we shine uh (laughs) this is really cool i like this i like the fact that it's not just like oh you're fighting against you know 50 goblins or something or you're fighting against like 50 undead you're fighting against oh this is the legion this is this is the red baron or whatever Mm -hmm. and stuff like that yeah and like all this stuff as well specifically released uh for the marshal like the loyalty uh knowing morale uh knowing intel all factors into the engagement role if the commander spends one intel to give advanced information that adds a die to the role, or if uh, everyone in the Legion is loyal, take plus one die. If there's a veteran, such as a specialist or a soldier, you take plus one die. Um, there's some fun ones, such as, does any Legionnaire distrust or not respect the leadership enough to obey orders on the battlefield? Take minus one die. Which could is always interesting, because that could come up later, just like in that example. Uh, about player character versus player character. Um, they give you like a breakdown of every mission, what kind of supplies you need from the quartermaster or for them to work out. So if you do religious missions, um, you can get a plus one die if the quartermaster spent religious supplies to ward and protect the squad. And this is a mission that requires cool. an officer or a medic to be on board. Assault missions need a heavy, a medic or a sniper. Like you need specialists to be in there. Yeah. It's it's so one of the things that seems like fascinating to me is the fact that like if you're the quartermaster, you want to give everyone everything they want in order for them to get all these things. But I imagine like the uh economy of this game is that that's really difficult to do. Like I imagine because like you want to keep everybody alive, otherwise you lose points and stuff like that. Yeah. But I imagine it must be like it must have been so difficult to make like an economy for this to try and keep all that in 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 check like having like forcing your your um quartermaster to make these difficult decisions and i think that's just such an interesting part of it and i like that oh absolutely going into the legion role for the quartermaster they know what the supply is they pick the initial non-legion personnel 
they select a mercy, mm-hmm. which is that person who can take damage for folks. Uh, but yes. once they do it, once they can't do it again, they have to rest uh, for a downtime and heal up. Or you can take an alchemist instead. They mm-hmm. mark the food and track that. They mark what kind of material. Uh, and they pick five different ones, such as black shot, food, horses, and religious supplies for mission engagements. And then they also pick out whether they're taking labor, siege weapons, and supply carts to change the approach. And uh, depending on how that first mission goes, we'll tell you how fucked you are. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, I I really, I like the quartermaster, but there was like a frustrating part of me. I was like, oh, God, if I was quartermaster, you I would do everything. I, I want to make sure everyone can succeed. I want to give the highest chance to succeed. And then I'll do what happens in every RTS, which is I spend too many materials too early on the game and I fuck myself. Exactly. Which is part of the fun of it, I feel like. And it's also like it's it's interesting because like a lot of the times, like with these kind of stories, like there's often like, oh, your your command is sending out on dumb missions and they don't have any idea of what it's like on the ground and stuff like that. And they undersupply you and stuff like that. And so people like the soldiers have to make do with what they have. And like with this game, it mechanizes that Mm -hmm. and by just not giving you enough resources and stuff, which is very generous towards like the quartermaster and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, But uh, the lore keeper, which is probably the uh, one I would lean into the most is basically like your history keeper. They remember mm -hmm. the tale of Ettenmark and what happened there, what mistakes were made, what broken that was faced, what you see how were you saved and their job is to track the dead their role is to remember everyone who dies and oh. tell the t- tell the tales and history of the legion <laughs> the happiest role <laughs> yeah uh they keep notes on everything i i don't agree that this should be an optional role i feel like everyone should be keeping notes personally yeah but um they're also they're kind of also the scene director when it comes to stuff, too, because their job is to consult with the marshal on the morale before making selections on what duties to take and what needs to be done because uh, mm-hmm. they have different moves. Uh, they tell different histories of the Legion in order to give bonuses to them. So, for example, if I tell the tell tale of the Legion's founding, uh, I'd say who was the first commander, first legionnaire and first lower keeper. How hmm. and for or for what is that person remembered and what dangerous threat was the Legion formed to face? And then I choose an effect. They learn a lesson. All specialists may place one XP in any category. The wow. Legion seeks glory of yesteryear. Your next set of missions will include a special mission or the histories raise morale. The Legion gains plus two morale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do little moves like that in order to be ba- you're, you're basically like providing buffs in the same way of like a spider would spend stress to help someone uh, help a crew member out. That's interesting. So you're like it's it's like the law keeper is kind of like the the, the propaganda <laughs> person or like the, the yeah. journalist or something. The, the person who's like telling stories to like keep people going and stuff like that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I thought it was fascinating that that's kind of how they're looking at it. Um, mm. Then from there, we have the last playbook, which is the spy master and the mm. spy master's whole thing is to select spies uh, to send out and have duties. Spies will be dispatched during campaigns for simple assignments for short term boosts or long term to enact your master plan. Uh, 
which is mm -hmm. basically maybe figuring out what the broken are because it says grow your network your true enemies are the broken themselves prepare for them maximize your effectiveness and then work with other roles which i think it's nice that like the the uh lore master the lore keeper and the spy master are both basically parts of the spire playbook and which they're mm -hmm. there to help the legion be better and more effective yeah. uh, you also get some very very handy you have like the uh crew layer uh build out where like you can pick up certain upgrades to improve your spy network and uh get more forces or more dice for certain things and then you have all these lovely characters to be your spies such as uh antoinette Denied nobility by birth, this alright seamstress found a better calling in life. She's broken countless hearts, poisoned nobles, and warriors both, and has yet to fail a mission. Specialty. Antoinette automatically upgrades to a master spy when selected. Uh, there's Bortis, who is a grizzled Zemyani. On and off the field, he uh, is believed to be the next spy master. He's tough but fair, right. and when Bortis rolls on expanded network assignments, he generates plus one segment on his rolls. You have Crimson Vexing, who does not wound on any mission. Uh, Ingrid gets to ask additional questions during intel or interrogations. Like, Are these like NPCs? Like you can't play as these people, right? You can't play as these people. These are uh, these are like cohorts that you send out to do jobs. Right. And they like help out or something. Yeah. During things. So you rescue them, I guess. Yeah, basically. That's amazing. Okay. I have a question about how this game ends because as I understood it previously, because I haven't read this book, I've just heard people talk about it and it's again on my list of shame that I absolutely want to check out. And I love this conversation because I kind of get excused from that. <laughs> um, but as I understand it, I thought you just went to that last castle and died and that was it. That was the end of the game. But is there a possibility for a happy ending? Can people still have a, a, a good ending for this game? Um, that's a great question. I think that's probably mm. in the latter part. Let me... Which you haven't gotten to yet. No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> so, there are six objectives that need to be completed before the Keep can hold against the undead during the winter month. Most of these play mm. out in a short series of short uh, one-obstacle missions. Each mission occurs at approximately the same time, so specialists and squads can only be assigned to one mission each. The commander decides in what order the missions will be played out. The marshal determines who is assigned to which, and the quartermaster decides what resources are assigned to each task. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the different missions. It gives a description on that. And then the last wave, and you calculate a final score um, okay. to give an idea. Uh, after final mission, survivors, you made it before winter. Gain 20 points. Uh, soldiers and <laughs> troops. Marshall condenses troops into complete squads and calculates the following. Soldiers remembered. For each squad annihilated, zero survivors. Subtract 10 points. Formation. For each wounded squad, fewer than five survivors. Subtract five points. Specialists. For each surviving specialist, gain five points. For each chosen advance that you pick, gain 10 points. Morale. If your morale is between four to seven, gain five. If it's eight plus, gain 10. Supplies held. Uh... This goes into the Legion roles as well, too, which is something I can yeah. jump back to because there are the yes. three required roles of the quartermaster, the marshal and the commander. And then you have the bonus ones that are optional of the lore keeper and the spy master. Ooh, mm -hmm. Ooh that's like that's like some Crusader Kings shit. Yeah, basically. That's really cool. The quartermaster also 
calculates points for the supplies and siege weapons and uh, mm-hmm. if they got laborers. And then the commander adds points as well for each of the special mission they completed, all the relics they have. Uh, if they slew the uh, undead lieutenants and if they slew a broken, which is near impossible to give an idea of how difficult that is, it is 30 points if you slew a broken. Oh, that's that's good. You should try to do that, I think. Yeah. That's the thing you should try and do. They highlight how fucking hard that is. Yeah. They they have a whole section of saying, if you get into a fight with the broken, don't. And if don't is not an option, get ready to die. <laughs> yeah. That's like, interesting. It's so fascinating. Yeah, because like, you know, you play all these missions, you do all these things, and at the end it just comes down to counting points. It's like it's almost like a like a football match or something where it's just like, let's count all these things. How many people died? How many how many uh, uh, fallen chosen died uh, were killed and stuff like that. And then that determines your ending. It's so Mm -hmm. cold and so calculating that just it's very it's interesting. It really fits into it. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Uh, Here's how to calculate your final score for the campaign, although it is fun to see how good or distracting disastrous your campaign was it's the most relevant if you want to continue your game in later campaigns the final Mm -hmm. score for each campaign is used to set up the next chapter of the legion story such as the defense of sky dagger keep low scores less than 100 mean you'll start weaker in the next campaign and might have trouble catching up as the story advances it's a metric to have an idea of whether your legion will be able to survive the final to the final campaign or if you feel like jumping into a future chapter to begin with to let you decide on how you want to play Higher scores of above 200 indicate uh, starting in an excellent position. So I think oh, the. No. Yeah, so I think <laughs> the answer friends. to the question here is the happy ending here is you survive and hold out for at least a few more days. That So it's. it's Is that a legacy? The legacy board game thing where you just like. You just set yourself up for the next game? Yeah. Is that what I'm thinking about? I think so, yeah. Just like it goes into, it might go like even longer and further. Uh, so you just, never, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. Which I think kind of leans into what dark fantasy is. Cause like I'm yeah. thinking of a, I'm thinking of like Priory of the Orange Tree, which is a very, very fun book. The ending kind of comes up onto a big bad among all this conspiracy. And mm-hmm. like the ending is we defeat the big bad, but we still have all these conspiracies. We have all this backstabbing. We have all these issues still going on in the background. Yeah. So like, yay, we defeated the evil. Now we have to clean up the mess. And I think it it makes sense that in a dark fantasy game, y'all were able to hold out in the keep. But uh, you still need to call Gondor uh, you need to uh, light the beacon still and call for aid. Yeah. Because like maybe the Eastern Kingdoms don't have anything. Maybe they're maybe they're uh, maybe they have their own bullshit. Yeah. Either a they have their own bullshit or their answer is fucking lock it down. No one's coming yeah, through. We're not going to yeah. let you in. Are you are you bad? You know? Yeah. Fuck. That's amazing. That's really interesting. I like that ending a lot. Yeah. That is- <laughs> and I do. I will preface this with saying, like, you know, it does depend on what you want to do in your story as well. I think mm-hmm. if you want to continue to keep this dark, then it makes sense that yeah. uh, it the victory condition here isn't total and utter defeat of the Cinder King. It's we survive until we can figure something the fuck out. 
Yes. And, uh, you know, and to me, that goes into, all right, we depending on how this goes, we have a position for the next game. Is this going to be follow? Is this going to be kingdom? Is this going to be an entirely different system? Uh, do the gods take pity and decide that uh, we need more chosen and figure mm. out something to make them more resilient or not? Because they straight up say, like, the gods do not give a shit. The gods are here to be worshipped and they just send the chosen in when they're like, yeah, this is too much for you mortals. Let, let me send your, you a babysitter real quick. Yeah. It, like, uh, on page 157, it straight up says about the chosen, like, yeah, you know, if it's something bad, they'll send one in. The worst it's been is they had to send in two. Mm -hmm. And that kind of like shows like how bad this is, where they're like, we need to send in nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that still did not work. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Like I said, it's I, I love the faction game, like roles that people can play as. Mm -hmm. And then the like quickness of which a playbook can be changed to someone else and how, yeah. you know, it's again, the kill your darlings kind of thing that like I'm very, I uh, talk to people about and like, I know for a fact, if I pick this game, it's going to be hard to talk one person into it because she's going to be very protective about her soldier. Of course. And like, it's, that makes it's, sense. it's, it's so interesting because like, that's part of the the joy of a game like XCOM or something where it's just like these people fucking matter and the fact that they die sucks and it doesn't feel good mm -hmm. and it's like that's it, like if you're emotional about it and if you're like kind of like you're attached to someone and they die that's part of the joy of it like mm -hmm. I think my first D&D &D character died and I was like this is an incredible feeling just sort of like seeing them go having all their plans be thrown to dust and all the rest of it and it's yeah that sounds amazing like it sounds it sounds rough it sounds like a very hard game again to pitch and all the rest of it but man it would be a hell of experience it it's a very rough game i but i'm very the more i read into it the more i'm like i'm interested in seeing how this game feels and i'm interested in seeing how it turns out i don't know if i could get a full campaign done with a group. I feel like we would hit halfway and then someone would be like, hey, I have to go. Yeah. Oh, well, I would be done. I would be done yeah. to play this game. Oh, yeah. And and see how this goes. I have a bunch of friends who are, like, very interested in uh, playing, like, more Blades in the Dark kind of things and just, like, trying out different systems. And I really would like to play this game. Um, You know, drive people like stolen cars. Absolutely. I don't know how we did this, but this is an incredibly good pairing, these two games. Like, speaking of games about Endless War, speaking about games with, like, customizable, like, classes, speaking about games where death is a very common part, I have been checking out Planet Fist, a, uh, I think, I think it's been released. Let me just check this out. Um, uh, Planet Fist is a hack of the game Fist. Um, it is, uh, Fist as it is, is basically Metal Gear Solid made with, uh, some of the rules of, um, games like, uh, um, Offworlders and a bunch of other things. I cannot quite remember off the top of my head, but I always remember Offworlders. And, uh, basically what happened is, uh, Jess, who has previously, previously made a really good tweet thread, which we talked about in our last episode, and has also worked on, um, uh, I Have the Higher Ground, 
um, a Star Wars game and uh, uh, it's it's Rogue, is it not? Rogue, uh, going Rogue 2E, uh, which I think won an award recently. Yes. Uh, anyway, so basically what has happened is uh, uh, Jess was like, I'm going to make a game of Fist, but set it in space. And the thing about that is I know what Offworlders is and it is a game already set in space. And so I came to this being like, is this just redundant? Is this a, a game that needs to be made? And the answer to that, as a spoiler for what I'm going to say, is that it is not it is not redundant. It is fucking wild. It is it is very different what it is. Instead of being like um, Offworlders, which is basically like you play a bunch of um, uh, delivery people moving things from one point to another, maybe getting into scraps and doing all this kind of stuff. Uh, you basically play something that feels very much like an original Xbox game. Mm -hmm. The basic thing is is there is an ongoing war on 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 the planet's uh, Sexora. Sexora. Sorry, I won't say Sexora. Um, there are three factions. Um, it isn't just basically space USA, space Russia, or anything like that. It is a libertarian corporatocracy a fascist council and a techno supremacist ascendancy fighting against each other nanobots have been invented and and messed around and as a result you basically play as people who die and then respawn at a respawn point basically it's it's really interesting i say it's basically like a, an original xbox game just because like it has mechanics that i'm just like i haven't seen these in 20 years like there is an overshield mechanic which heals every time you go down oh. into cover um you have uh various classes like you have a jet trooper and assault which i'm like i pl i played that in the original star wars battlefield game and i fucking love that and 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 there is the 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 res mechanic where people die and then come back as a different class, which is like Borderlands, but also like every other shooter. Like mm -hmm. I think Battlefield does something similar. And it is it is wild. It it sort of like adds to this by by adding like bonds and adding like specific roles, which is like like what is it like as these people? Like what is it like to be immortal, to die and always come back? And like, what is it like when you're not doing this thing? What is it like when you're sort of like sitting at home? What is it like when you see people you like? There are there are like the bond mechanics specifically like approach the question: Does love bloom on the battlefield? And like, you can have exes, and you can have your lover, and you can have your best friend, which has like various conditions. If you meet the conditions, then you can um, advance, like get a get an upgrade for this thing. Or if you break the, some of the conditions, then you stop being that relationship. Uh, like, for instance, the exes, uh, if they fall in love, they stop being exes, <laughs> which is very funny. <laughs> and uh, I will also say that uh, Jess is a very, very good writer. Um, I, I wrote here, Jess writes like a confident motherfucker. You turn the pages knowing she's up to something. Like, for instance, like the, the setup is... This is a space colony. This is a thing like this. And then the warp gate got destroyed. And so now there's just a bunch of people stuck on a planet, the libertarian corporatocracy, a fascist council, and a techno-supremacist ascendancy fighting against each other. And I'm curious, like, what is going on here? Like, why were those specific things chosen? It also mentions how, like, each of the upgrades that you do are all, like, 
battle focused like they all give you like a, a you know a plus one to tactical attacks and you know you do extra damage and stuff like that Mm-hmm. um the the techno supremacist ascendancy is uh really fun because it has a thing where like you can uh like it has very special abilities to do with that faction that allow you to like see everybody's like health see everybody's like stats and see everybody's things through your your ui you have like a user interface but every time you use like make a role that doesn't use that information you get a disadvantage and so Oh, it's it's fascinating like that. I'm I'm digging into this because I didn't have time to read this, sadly. But like, mm. this is fascinating. And I I did play Planet Side 2 when I was in college. And yeah. basically, that was kind of the factions you ran into that more like. Is it? That's so interesting because I'm like, I have no idea what Planet Side 2 is. I know all these other <laughs> references and it reminds me of so many other things. But uh. like, I don't know what this is. So there could just be like, here is Planet Side 2 again. So, like, to to give an idea what Planet Side 2 is as a video mm-hmm. game, it's essentially, you know how, like, Battlefield struggled to uh, run games with, like, 124 people on each side, so, like, 248 people would be in one lobby, all fighting yeah. out, and you'd have planes flying through, you'd have parachutes dropping. Hmm. Imagine that, but more sci-fi, and a lot buggier. Right. Okay. Hmm. What, what year did it come out? Um... F- 2008 i want to say hold on oh wow oh uh, initial race uh uh, 20th november 2012 oh was 2012 okay never mind when did plant side one come out that came out in 2003 holy crap yeah um but yeah it's it's plant side two is one of those game it you know how battle bit's really big right now yes yeah the 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 low res version of battlefield yes uh, it, this harps to me like that where it's like i am running around i'm getting into fights i'm switching classes because uh being a heavy being a support uh class isn't helping right now so i need to instead go to medic so i can start picking people up so i can hold on to our uh health tickets so we can survive and get more points mm. and just like this is what it's feeling like to me. I think the mm. big thing is like having assets is a wild thing of just like, yeah, we just have a fucking beam cannon. Like it's gears of war. Yeah. And there's a thing where like every character, like basically in, in off world as an in fist, there's a thing where, uh, you can have like a point where you basically resupply and stuff. So if you're out of ammo, you have like three charges, three uses of, of grenades that you can use. And if you get a resupply point, you fill, uh, fill that out. In this game, if you die, you get all your points back. You get all your things back um, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's other things where if you complete certain objectives, you get like bonus things. So you get the ability to um, like, you know, you can you can get bonus stuff. Like you can get like a, 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 you know, a flyer thing. There's there's various names for all these equipment, but I can't remember them. And you can get like a, a, a panther truck with like to come in to do respawns and get special equipment that you can just Mm -hmm. pull in if you do these objectives and so that's how assets work and and yeah it's 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 interesting in that way the only thing i have against it is that you have to really enjoy capture the flag it does Mm -hmm. offer other sort of like other things you can do but like the core thing seems to be the core mechanic that everything else is built around is you go in and you take over an area a respawn point and if you do that 
then other people can't respawn. They can, of course, come in through other means. Like, they can come in through, like, a, a, a tank called a panther where they just sort of jump out and begin to attack. And there's, like, they can't go within a certain area. But, like, a lot of the, the combat things are basically, like, come in this area, secure this thing by having more soldiers in this area than the other people and sort of go with that. Um, and... It's an interesting thing because like, as opposed to like Fist, which has a very sort of like very loose, very interesting kind of uh, way of making missions, much more open. Like you can come in to kill someone. Uh, you can come in to kill like a specific target. You can do a war. You can like infiltrate a party potentially and stuff like that. This game is very much like you come in, your side comes in and, and, and does this. And this is the planet side two influence. I'm guessing that it's just like, it is this, it's like a multiplayer game. Mm -hmm. Um, it also has like a lot of, a lot of like all the abilities are to do with, with combat for the most part. There are like special things where, um, you can have like, yeah, I'm looking at social roles right now. I love yell chat. Describe your infamous yeah. reputation you have with each rival faction. Advance if you've taunted at least one enemy soldier in every combat. Yeah, and there's, like, stuff like that. Like, the, the advancements and the bonds are the stuff that is really, like, great and special to this. It, like, uh, one of the things it says in the introduction is that this is a combat game, but the thing is you can work in a bunch of fun narrative stuff in there. As it is, there isn't, like, there isn't a way of ending this war. This war will go on forever because that's how video games work and that's how a lot of war happens in uh, current time. Like, it gives suggestions about, like, you could potentially play as, like, people who are against this, the, the, the current status quo, and who try and, like, act as rebels against this, to try and, like, you know, change the way things work, and try and alter the way things work. But, like, with Fist, it's sort of like, this is a suggestion that players come and, uh, like, GMs could come and game designers could come and, like, change this rule in order to make it something else. Because the core thing is basically zone capture and doing all this kind of thing it's a strange one because like it it's really well written it's really cool and it has fun like like character backgrounds it has all this sort of thing but it is basically this 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 combat thing and i just like i i really enjoy it i love what is here and i think that playing it would be really great even though like all the abilities I'm like, I don't care about combat every time I play a kind of game. And it's sort of like interesting to see someone focus exclusively on the combat side of things with some mm -hmm. really cool bonus stuff. But like, I want to see this taken to the next level. Like this is basically what we have now. This is the, the version completed for the jam. And there's even a bit where if you go to the end, um, again, this was provided by Jess. Like this isn't, um, this is like a press copy mm -hmm. that I'm sort of reading through rather than yeah. the final version that exists. But just says at one point, note, there will be more contact here in the post-jam release, sorry. I mostly cannibalize it from other sections and it's 10.39pm uh, on the day of the jam deadline, which is, this is this is the kind of version we're looking at, which is great. Like this, to read it, fantastic, love it. Um, but I want to see, I want to see what downtime is like. I want to see fucking downtime rules. I want to see how you change up the way the status quo is. I want to see like plot lines, like what if the, what if the, the, the warp gate opens again and people come back in is the new factions. Like I want to see this story changing rather than just being this like very depressing kind of like the war just keeps on going. You keep fighting things, nothing changes you die, you come back. That's what's going on. 
and it is it is an amazing start it is a really cool start but i want to see more of it it might not happen the might this game might just sort of exist as a sort of like a like you get to play a fun little combat game using very streamlined rules and really fun like character beats mm-hmm. um but yeah it is it is it is it is really cool um let me give you some information about uh planet fist you can also find this game at uh, justfromonline.itch.io uh, slash Planet Fist. Just from online is all one word. Planet Fist all one word as well. Um, it is free to download. You can sort of go through it and check it out. Um, this will basically be continued to be play tested for free. And um, so this game will continue to be play tested and free. And a for sale expanded edition will be released after the jam. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah so so be sure to check this out it is one of these other games that like people should pay for <laughs> it's like similarly to how, how we 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 said the in our last episode that people should pay more for it for these games and people release like demo versions that people can try out it's not even a demo version it's like a early access version for free um this is great and you should check out more um and i'm sure when it comes out it'll be properly paid and stuff like that i kind of want to have a war table kind of thing. You know how like you can go to some game shops and they will have multiple campaigns happening. Uh, uh, not multiple campaigns. Well, multiple tables set up in the same realm and it interfere. You can interfere with other people's games in that way mm-hmm. or like something akin to just like a Warhammer game going on. I want to see that with this. I want this to be the yeah. new big uh, like Hey, come to come to the Emerald Tavern. We have game night here. We're playing Planet Fist and you can join us at the war table for five dollars or buy a game and get free seating. That would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Although, like, I will say very quickly, you are a, po- a part of Kalascon, which is kind of that in a way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that is a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but this I'm thinking more like straight up going up against your own uh, like other tables as well like yeah. going, getting into it with them and it is it also is um to go back to what you're talking about with with commanders and stuff like that in uh a band of blades is that like there are commanders in this thing and you never know what they're up to i think there's an upgrade that can get you a connection but that's to the person who brings them coffee and like you never specifically have connection to the the commanders or like what they want why they're doing anything like this and you're very much like left in the dark by all this kind of thing. And so it is a very like different response to the way it approaches like the people who run your mission and stuff like that, um, which I think is interesting. And mm. it, it mentions numerous times that you can you might not have an officer because you threw a grenade at them too many times and they stopped coming back. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it is it is interesting. So mm. be sure to check that out. It's again free um yeah let us know what you think about mm-hmm. in our discord via patreon yeah um and yeah from there let us let us jump over to the main topic which because of time zones and stuff like that uh both of us couldn't basically do an interview with riley who lives in 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 the uk so uh, i will hand it over to past marley who did this interview previously and it actually talked about like band of blades and stuff like that um and so yeah take it over past marley thanks me from the future 
So I am here with Riley Daniels, game designer extraordinaire. How would how would you introduce yourself? I haven't game a, designer I haven't extraordinaire. I don't know. You design games. Is that not true? Um, how extraordinary are they? And me? I don't know. <laughs> I don't feel I don't feel qualified to be able to say that. Um, I'm a. I guess I write role playing games. Yeah, I do do that. <laughs> I remember seeing someone had a like a business card that was something like Entertainment Ordinaire. No, this is Steve Martin. Uh, Steve Martin had a, a business card where he went to a place and just like put the thing. It was like Entertainment Ordinaire, and I always thought it was very funny. But yeah, I you could describe me as an ordinaire. No, that works. <laughs> um. Um. Yeah. Uh, so. So I guess full disclosure worth worth mentioning. Uh. Uh. I am. I am currently playtesting. Uh, your game as a Sun Forever Sets, which we are here mm-hmm. to have a chat about. Um, mm-hmm. And I've also, like, submitted a few things to your other game. I don't know if we want to, like, say anything about that, but I've submitted things to other things you've worked on. Yeah, yeah, we can say that. Um, and so I'm yeah. a good journalist because I've mentioned mentioned this thing that, is, that has occurred. <laughs> so I guess for people who have, who are, who are new um, and haven't heard me talk about your, your games at length, what is As the Sun Forever Sets? What is the pitch? So, As the Sun Forever Sets is a um, game based on Blades in the Dark, the Forge in the Dark system, about mm. um, ordinary Victorian people trying to escape the destruction of Britain under the under the under an encroaching invasion of Martians. It's yeah, the Victorian era. The year is eighteen ninety nine, and um, yeah, it's it's basically a bunch of people. Um, trying not to get vaporized and trying to discover something, I guess, about themselves and their friends while they're doing so. Yeah. Find the friends, find friends along the way. What am I trying to say? Something like that. Find, find, yeah. Find friends, make friends in the apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's also worth mentioning. It's a survival. It's like a hex crawl and stuff like that. And it's like a lot of, the thing that really that drew it to me, besides the fact that it's it's War of the Worlds, is that like you you've made an open world Blaze the Dark game. That's absolutely bonkers. I did I did, I did do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I think it's also worth mentioning that this is that's your very first game, the very first game you released, and it's like uh, how many pages is it currently? Um, it's about I think it's about two hundred and two hundred. Uh, it's like 250 pages or something at the moment right. and maybe a bit more but so so you went basically from first this is the first tabletop game that you've you've designed <laughs> and i guess what is the process going from from being a non game designer to a game designer ordinaire of a very detailed 250 some page book like what was well, how did that happen <laughs> so like sort of Tail end of 2019, um, start of 2020, there, there was this thing called the, the pandemic. Yes, um, I'm familiar. Which, I've read about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it wasn't great for a lot of reasons. Um, yes. And one of the things it did was make you hyperfixate on something very close to you so you could avoid or attempt to avoid a lot of the turmoil and chaos going on outside. Um, so that's a good... That's a good way to get focused, I guess. Um, yes. But what did I do? I mean, I 
join the Blades in the Dark Discord, which was super helpful because there are a ton of people in there working on stuff, working on like you know different ways to hack Blades or modify it or make their own games using the Forge and Dark um, system. Um, I read through the the system reference document mm-hmm. um, for Blades. Um, I guess one thing that also helped was listening to friends at the table uh they're like big um beam saber campaign and really also playing yeah Wait, what when did that come out because i'm like in my brain i'm just like oh that came out two years ago but no that's three years ago now partisan yeah it was a while ago um so the the thing that i immediately did was try and hack the the um you have like the uptime downtime like the, the way yeah. you reduce stress and you have your bonds with your um fellow players mm-hmm. i tried to hack that into scum and villainy which is um the sci-fi version of blades and it didn't work at all <laughs> um i i think i mentioned it to austin and they were like yeah like if you just kind of put that system in and don't attach it to anything it's not going to work and yeah I like, yes i did i i realized this later um all right i i, I so after i'd done all of this i looked through yes. Um, I rewatched the War of the Worlds, the the film, which we won't talk yes. about. Um, Wait, which one is this? Is this the nineteen fifties version? The... No, the, the the much maligned uh, two thousand and five. I think right. one. The one that has the line, "Is it the terrorists?" Yeah. Yeah, no. That it's the, it's the aliens. Yeah, and I was like, oh, like a War of the Worlds game would be cool. I had a look and. There wasn't any War of the Worlds role-playing games. Surprising, very surprising. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was like, "There's a big gap in the market." I mean, I intentionally wasn't trying to do like a ah time to make my mega bucks in the world of independent role-playing games. Yeah, um, but I was just like, "This is a a cool idea." I don't get why there isn't something already. I guess I'll just have to make it. And so another reason, I hadn't actually read the War of the Worlds book when I was like a kid um what i did have was my mom was really trying to get me into like stage musicals um okay for for some reason uh (laughs) i think it just because she likes you know stage musicals which is fine and Mm -hmm. good um and so she played for me the 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 um jeff wayne's musical version of the war of the worlds right which in my opinion, it's like it's like um, when did this come out? So it's a de- it's, <laughs> I still have it on vinyl somewhere around. Um, and it's just I'm really curious because there's a bunch of War of the Worlds movies. Mm-hmm. Is it like before the 1950s one, or or like after the 1930s uh, Orson Welles one? Where, so, where was that? If we're looking at the, the timeline of War of the Worlds adaptions. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like the um, 1978 is when it came out. What? So it's after the, yeah, after the, the 50s Flying Saucer movie, um, before the, uh, the Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise, is it the terrorist War of the Worlds? Yeah. But it's the best adaption of the War of the Worlds, hundred percent. This is so hands down, no no contest. I even my knowledge of musicals is so wild because this is like around the time of like 
you know, fucking uh, 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 Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. This is like Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. This kind of era, they made a War of the Worlds musical. What? And it's just super good. It's it's just 10 out of 10, like all the way through. And it's like, it's not, it's still, it still goes, goes today. Like, you know how like Cats is always, always running, right? Yeah. It's, I it's, mean, I, I've been listening to Jesus Christ Superstar a fucking lot recently, mm-hmm. and it's great. What a good musical. Yeah. This is better. Well, I like this. I would like this better. But this is good. Yeah. What, the War of the Worlds is, is good. Um, I haven't heard this one yet. It's not like, like I say, like Cats level. Like, it's not constantly on. But it's kind of, yeah. it's up there. Like, it's a it's a, a show that I think is still on at the moment. Um. They did do a terrible like remake of it that had dubstep, which I would not recommend listening to. Oh, that is hey, that's a I mean, musical and War of the World is a weird mixture that I just love the idea of. And then you add dubstep in it, and I'm like, that's even more intriguing. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, I didn't like it. You might like it. If you like you saw if it. you like dubstep. Also, it's narrated by Liam Neeson. So that is cool. Great. Of course. Thank thank good. That is good. Yeah. But the original is like super prog rocky, like has synth a bunch of like you know 70s synths and stuff in it. Like and it's the first song on it is actually kind of scary, which I was it really gets the mood of the book. Like it is creepy and weird and scary. And the narration's super good. I I forgot the like a like a like a famous actor of the time called Richard Burton, who yeah does a super good job. I know that guy from somewhere. He's uh, Tim's brother. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. The yeah, director. Tim Burton's brother, Richard Burton. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was born in nineteen twenty-five. Yeah, exactly. It's weird how that worked out. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's. You should just listen. You listen to it. Listen to the nineteen twenty eight version. It's great. I recommend it. Basically, any time I record myself talking about this game, I have to tell people to go and listen to the to the War of the Worlds musical. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I um started from the SRD and just started tweaking from there, which I guess is why it is so big. Yeah, I I don't know. I <laughs> maybe there's something wrong with me. No, I I think like it's it's so I mean one it's a mammoth effort and I'm like I I I only point out the fact that it's like two hundred something pages long because like typically when people make their first game it is a one page RPG or it is like a couple pages of a hack of something but mm-hmm. like the like I, I perhaps came to it a little bit later like I discovered it I think last year or something while we were doing the while we were doing the podcast and mm-hmm. like. At that point, it's already been in development for, you know, two years or something like that. Yeah. And um, it's it's got so much, like, confidence to it. Like, again, it's been it's been iterated since then, but just, like, the layout of it, the fiction within it, the the various stories, and the fact that, like, the, one of the things that really makes this game stand out for me is the fact that, like, you make differences like i have a i have a bunch of things li- listed out here so it as sun forever says doesn't have listed action scores like you know mm-hmm. uh 
leap punch i don't know if, i don't remember any of them uh instead it has flexible traits that players come up with themselves and which go up and down uh, as play goes on if they succeed in a thing it gets better if it goes if they fail in a thing that gets worse um mm-hmm. play mm-hmm. also isn't confined to a single city instead you do a hex crawl across most of the united kingdom and possibly beyond uh mm-hmm. you don't choose whether you approach a score with stealth assault deception or transport instead you decide what you seek a camp to rest in a safe travel route finding room of supplies or something else else and then the action is trying to get that goal um, and there's also zero playbooks or special abilities. And so, like, the thing that always stood out for me is that, like, you you started off as a Blades in the Dark game, but it's, like, it's fundamentally different. And there's a lot of big uh, swings. And so I'm just like, what, what was it that drew you towards, like, playing Blades in the Dark and then making all these changes? Uh, well, fun fact, I've never played Blades in the Dark. Um, really? Yeah, I play. I played Scum and Villainy, um, right? And I ran like a, a a big long campaign of Scum and Villainy, which um, mm. again, if you do, if you don't know, it's kind of like um, it's very similar to Blaze in the Dark. Yeah, like there are some some minor changes and stuff like that, but it's not mm-hmm. as as fundamentally different. Yeah. So why is it so different? I I because what I like about the Forge in the Dark system is like the core. Mm action like resolution i like the com- the conversation it's basically like the position and effect thing really works for me yeah and the sort of whole war of the worlds thing was kind of like unrelated to all of that but i was like oh like this was the thing that made role playing games generally click for me mm-hmm. like oh we talk about it and we just we don't have to like it doesn't have to be super complicated we just say okay well this is kind of dangerous and you know you might do it if you can get a success like let's talk about it rather than okay you're trying to be a 15 or whatever you know yeah and i mean i started with like action ratings with like engage like the engagement role as it was um i didn't have playbooks um i did decide i was gonna like get rid of those um and special abilities they're really hard they are really hard and also like because of the fiction that i'm like basing it off it's like well why would why would i was like why would you <laughs> why have would... why would you have special abilities for one yeah. thing i have my spider this is this is my you know in hg yeah. Wells, they he encountered the spider right you yeah know. it's like i can always say that like a guy uh like some special <laughs> assassin that i know will show up on a fail and make it into a big success for me or whatever like yeah um so then why do you need playbooks if you don't have special abilities? Because that's the that's the main thing that's different about them. Yeah. And it all just kind of gradually like drifted further and further and further away from the like core rule set of blades as I sort of realized by writing it, like, oh well actually this then should also change. Like mm. actually because it's a sandbox game, maybe this list of I spent a long time trying to make a really broad list of actions. And I had traits because I'd um, watched a video on a role-playing game called Hot War um, by, oh gosh. Hot War? Hot War is um, probably not as as horny as that title might imply. Um, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's a game set in like post-apocalyptic it's Britain. Like, it's the opposite <laughs> of a Cold War is what I was thinking of. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it's like the Cold War goes hot. 
and it's like a post-apocalyptic thing set in Britain, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Um, I haven't played it, and I think it's out of print currently. Um, but I but I watched a video about it um, on Dicebreaker. Yeah. Um, and they describe like how the traits work, which is basically how they work in As the Sun Forever set. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's really interesting. I gotta cont- like I've gotta work out how I can add that somewhere. So in the first versions it was very like, oh, this adds a one dice or, you know, adds a plus effect or whatever. And it never quite like slotted in properly and it only really made sense when I got rid of the action. Yeah. That the traits should be the thing that drive what you do. Um, that's interesting. And then it was like, well, okay, why do we need like a list of traits? Because it's a sandbox game, you can't really, especially with a list of like, um, I think it's 14 actions. It might be 12 actions in Blades in the Dark. I'm going to Google it. You continue. I think it's 12. Keep vamping. The whole thing that makes those actions fun is that they overlap, kind of. Mm-hmm. So you can say like, oh, well, is this Prowl or is this Tinker? Fun and frustrating in some ways, because like a lot of the yeah. times I find that the rolling does kind of like get slowed down because you're just like, oh, is this command? Is this a consort? And, like, I found with some people that I've played with, they're just like, can we just roll it? Can we just, like, not have to worry about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it is something that I love about it, like, having to to negotiate that and, like, having to decide whether it's increased effect or lesser effect because of that. Yeah. But it's a, it's a fun quirk of the system. I mean, I think it's, like, I think once you get into that rhythm of, like, yeah, probably, like, two or three actions will apply for this role, like... Mm. It's fine. Like you, ju- you just go, yeah. This you, you know, you're picking a lock, but you're also trying to be quiet. So is this prowl? Is this tinker? It's like yeah, if you know, roll whichever one you feel yeah. makes sense to you. But yeah, when you try and broaden that list out, it it's it's kind of difficult. So letting the players just write whatever they want for their actions essentially seemed like the thing to do. I, I wanted to to go back to the thing you said before, where you said that like you came to this game as sort of like it's like a pandemic game and so i'm kind of curious how like as the sun forever sets like how how do you feel that was a part of your way of processing the pandemic i don't know like how does that sort of come together in your mind mm-hmm. i mean like um it it Mostly it was the thing to fixate on. Like, it's the mm. project. Like, I'm going to work out how every single part of this SRD works and I'm going to, like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I'm going to make this game and it's going to be 200 pages long and, like, don't look outside or <laughs> don't watch the news. Like, yeah. got to work on this game. Um, I guess in, in terms of, like, they're both crises, right? Like... Yeah, I would say that is accurate. <laughs> was, I... Yeah. <laughs> And it's also like uh, to 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 maybe you know say something is 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 that this is a game that sort of like situates like you're acting in relation to the British Empire, and like one of the things that I love about this game is that there is like there's it's almost like you're fighting against like two villains simultaneously, one of which is a weird dark mirror of the other, which is like you're fighting against British society as it exists. Like one of the things you constantly reinforce is that this is, this is a world with like queer people and people of color. And you have to sit down and pick your class and your class isn't, isn't spider. Isn't all these other, isn't like that kind of thing. It's like, Mm -hmm. what is your social class? And it's a game that makes you sort of like sit down and think about that. And there are benefits like you get 
um, more uh, you're more traits if you're lower class than if you're upper class. Yeah. But you also have better resources and better equipment if you are upper class. And mm-hmm. so I guess like I feel that also applies to the pandemic in some way, and the fact that this is you're fighting against the existing status quo and sort of like dealing with that during a time of conflict. Um, so yeah, could t- speak on that. <laughs> <laughs> speak on that. Um, again, this was when I sort of got to the point where I was like, oh, well, if you can be anyone in this game, then it doesn't make sense to have playbooks. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to have blah, blah, blah. So the class is, oh, the class system. That makes a lot of sense. Because I needed a way to like quantify the idea that you could be, you can just be anyone. Mm. And if I'm listing your like job as like this is how you get skills. Oh, I know woodworking because I'm a carpenter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, needs to be a way to like quantify that freeform thing into something that's sort of measurable. Because yeah, yeah, you're right. Like the 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 class thing is the thing that sort of defines who you are, and that is very true in Victorian England. Like. It opens doorways to places if you're if you're that like upper class person mm-hmm. or that aristocrat. Like you you just it's a simple fact that you just have opportunities that wouldn't be afforded to someone lower class or someone of a different background or someone who is, like you say, queer or anything like that. Um yeah. and there's kind of a tendency in like turn of the century media to kind of like wash over that a little bit. Um, it gets like kind of whitewashed a lot of the time. You're you're allowed to say steampunk. I'm allowed to say steampunk. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I was gonna say was, it, um, there. I talk about this in like the preface to the game, which uh, uh, uh might seem like a little bit of a rant, but there's this preface of like um this I- idea that's very like was very prevalent in like Britain in like sort of mid 2010s and still runs up to now, where it's like. Oh, do you remember the do you remember the good old days? Do you remember yeah. the like you know how we used to have this like big cool navy and we used to have like an empire that like spanned the world and stuff and like wasn't it great? Wasn't it super like just cool? Like why do we have to have like identity politics when we could Yeah when we were able to do this before in the past and everything was fine and like you know, we all just got along together and it's like it kind of like grew out of the, that, that kind of like reaction to that. I mean, we we talked before um, we talked before this about um, the term flag shagger. Yes, yes, that's um, a good term, and in, in relation to certain films that exist. Yeah, I, th- I think I think a lot of a lot of media set in this time period in like the the yeah the the early nineteen hundreds or the late eight like eighteen hundreds does have this like wistful like rose tinted look at it and it's very flag shaggy as the sun forever sets is is um is very not interested in shagging the flag shall we say um may may i read like a section from the from the preface because there's um yeah yeah go ahead fucking it's good uh this game is about the this cloying nostalgia dying before it can be born it's science fiction revenge fantasy it's about the old world dying and the struggle that follows the hard-won birth of the new one. What does this mean for the characters you play, the people you'll meet, and the world at large? That's for you to decide. The rules that follow in this book are up to you to interpret, except this one. Britain will always fall, and the sun will forever set on its cruel empire, which gives the title of this book. 
it's fucking hard. I really like, really, really like this preface. Thank you. And it is a really interesting way of like approaching, like, oh, let's, let's, let's examine, let, let's do like a, a period drama or whatever. But just like, let's also kill <laughs> that era and let's mm-hmm. like prevent it from ever coming to, to happen. Like, yeah. And I, I thought that stuff was kind of necessary to, to have in there because it is such an open game. It's, mm-hmm. it's not like, um, say something like Bluebeard's Bride or something like that, which is like a very, fo- very focused experience. As the Sun Forever sets is the, is the complete opposite. Like the goals are up to you. It's a hex crawl, like you say. It's a sandbox game. Like you can just do whatever you want to do. So there isn't there isn't particularly anything stopping you going and having a jolly old time, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Like um, you say that, but I also think about like what you said about like Beam Saber and how like you can't just like port things into there, like. There are a lot of fundamental mechanics that you have that really reinforce mm-hmm. this thing. It's another thing that I really like about this game is that, like, sure, you can be like, oh, are we going to have, like, a happy-go-lucky group of people just having picnics and stuff like that? But I also know the rules of how you travel, and that involves Martians. And, mm-hmm. like, it, it makes it hard. And, like, you know, when you make characters, you, like, decide who they are, and there's disadvantages. And there's also, like, a mechanic that I... I'm just fascinated by, which is like the respectability mechanic, which is like, you know, uh, you get a bonus stat if you are straight presenting, if you're white presenting, and if you're Christian, and if you're male presenting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's just like the 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 times that I've play tested this, it's always stuck out because it's just like I've always been like, all right. Everyone gets this stat no matter what. Everyone gets their like the usual stats, all that sort of thing. Um, but when it comes to the respectability, you just you will everyone who picks this, who picks a character that will have this, will get a bonus unfair advantage because of this. And that's part yeah. of it. And I've always reinforced that like I will find ways that this can also be a negative. Um, that it isn't purely a positive that will always help you. It is a complicated mm-hmm. stat. But it's it's such an interesting thing. It's such an interesting like mechanic that reinforces this core thing that like you make a villain by making this thing an unfair like mechanic in this thing. So yeah. yes. I mean like to answer that, like to answer the two parts of that, I guess. Um Yes. There is technically nothing in the rules that stops you being like, I'm going to be Queen Victoria and all of the rest of the players are going to be I... my children and we're going to go and save the UK and, you know, rescue Riley, the crown jewels. I have wanted to play that game. <laughs> but just like, not to be like, let's save the British Empire, but just see like, what would Queen Victoria be like in this situation and stuff like that. I've also, I like, I really like, um... <laughs> There's a common saying in like uh, I don't know if this is specifically Forge in the Dark games, but it's mm-hmm. it's something that I'm sh- I think Harper said a few times. Drive your character like a stolen car. Yes. Right. I would love to like um, smash Queen Victoria ninety <laughs> yeah. miles an hour into a tree <laughs> off the motorway. Oh. For sure. It would be amazing. I've always every every time i've played we've had a lot of doctors every time i've play tested this game and stuff like this mm-hmm. but like i have cannot wait for someone to pick someone famous and just be like what is this person actually like and explore mm-hmm. this character in that way yeah definitely and i mean the second part of that the 
um respectability trait. Um Yes. It's 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 something that like I like ummed and awed about for um a long time. Uh we had um once Evil Hat sort of picked up this game, um I got to work with Helen Gould, who's a sensitivity consultant. Um mm-hmm. she did some additional writing for the game, which was great. And this was the one thing that I was like super nervous about. <laughs> this this um respectability trait because you are giving a reward to someone for being this yeah like a straight white like upper class man mm-hmm. and I have had a couple of people like ask me like well, why why are you rewarding that like why why are you giving bonuses that that seems gross which i understand they're like that why you might think of it that way but the thing is like this game is <laughs> despite the martians is attempting yeah. to be like somewhat like realistic in like the things that that happen in there like you need food or you need to sleep you need to eat food you can only travel so far like we're not just jumping around there's no flashbacks and like blades in the dark um mm-hmm. stuff happens in like a fairly linear fashion and the thing is like being an upper class cis white man is an advantage so it should be represented mm. as a mechanical advantage it feels dishonest to do it the other way around where you like say take dice off people who aren't um upper class and white and et cetera et cetera like but I also play it the same way that you play it, which is in certain situations it's gonna be a disadvantage mm. um like you know if we're if a group of robbers are looking for who the first person that they're going to steal from, it's going to be the guy in the fancy top hat with the big mustache and like the, the, <laughs> yeah. the starched collar. So it's nice to be able to turn the tables in that way. And it's, it's, it's also like, it's a, it's not a trait that you keep forever. Like as the game goes, like your traits go up and down. And so mm-hmm. it is foreseeable that, that people might discard that thing and pick, like, I would prefer to be, good at gardening instead of being respectable and using yeah. that trait. Well, this was another thing that wasn't possible with the, with the um, action ratings, like is having mm-hmm. them go down as well as go up. So yeah, like, like, and what does that mean? That's, that's, that's one of the parts of this game that I found like very, I sort of wrote the rule like offhanded, like, Oh, well, yeah, traits go up and down and whatever, like yeah. cool, your characters change. And then when it was actually like testing it and role playing it, it's like, Oh, that's, Actually, you you've become like less determined. What does that mean? Yeah. Or a better example is when it's a specific skill. Like, say you get worse at firearms. Are you just less confident in your firearms abilities, or are you less inclined to actually want to use them? And is that why it's going down? And there's also like a deliberate like limit to the amount of abilities that you have. Like, there's six mm-hmm. of them, right? Yeah, that's right. And so, at a certain point, you have to decide like, do I actually shoot? that much am i going to use this as much or should i focus on something Mm -hmm. else yeah um which is amazing a lot of players start with um traits that like describe who their character is Mm -hmm. i don't know many people i've certainly not played with people who are like trying to min max this right oh i i I would love to they're like i'm i'm strong and i'm quick and i'm (laughs) you know strength dexterity Charisma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I think it's interesting to, to well, you can do that if you want. That's fine. You can, you can yeah. do that. Sure. Um, I think it's way more interesting to be like, I'm, um, 
running a game starting tomorrow um, from from the day we're recording this. Um, yes, so a couple days ago, as time of release. Yeah, someone <laughs> is, um, let's see, their pitch for their character is a stage mu- uh, magician who is in town for a performance which has, for obvious reasons, been cancelled. <laughs> their traits are... E- Gonna, they're not sure. Sleight of hand or prestigitation, deceitful yeah. or stage presence, and I think something that's really cool about traits is the same reason that actions are cool is you read it and it's your interpretation that you apply to what you're doing in the in the game. Yeah. So it's like okay, so in as the Sun Forever set, you get dice when you when you do an action, you shoot your gun or you lie to someone or whatever it is you're doing. Um, hmm. You get dice for any traits that are helpful, and you lose them for any traits that are unhelpful. So this means if you make this character with the with these with these this magician with these traits, sleight of hand, prestigitation, deceitful, stage presence, like yeah, you either you have to act in a way that's going to make them apply that they're going to be a strength and which, not a disadvantage. Or yeah, exactly. Maybe you could lean into that and have like, oh, my mm-hmm. stage presence is really helping, not helping me stealth into yeah. this compound. <laughs> this was another thing because you can get, you can, traits are given and lost on like critical results, right? So if mm. you get a critical success, you can write a trait. If you get a critical fail, you can write a trait. And so you might like really mess up like um, being empathic to someone, for example, and you get the trait cold. Yeah. Which is going to work against you in the future. But what if you just started being cold more often? It's like, yeah, it's a cool, it's worked out to be a cool prompt for role playing in that way, which I, I kind of hadn't expected slowly when I was writing it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, super interesting to play around with. Because it's like, it's like, it's almost like people are min maxing in the way this game works, in that yeah. like they change how the character behaves, which is. Again, it's really interesting how the mechanics reinforce the story and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess you could call it like narrative min-maxing. Yeah, like if my if if my traits make my character look like an asshole, like we're just gonna get we're leaning into it because that's how I win. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. It's a it's a really interesting weird little thing. Uh, I was gonna ask what has been so this is this game is currently in playtesting. You've you've. Mm-hmm developed it a lot you've you've pitched it to evil hat which i will speak about in a moment uh but like what are some of your like big takeaways from doing this playtest what's some of the interesting things you've discovered i mean one thing is um it's very very hard to make a, a map of the uk that is um the right size for a virtual tabletop well that but also <laughs> divided into like five mile hexes mm. because um People know the areas they grow up in. Yeah. So if I've like missed something, or if or if like some um, obvious town isn't there, yeah, then I'm gonna hear about it. I'm gonna <laughs> people are gonna let me know. I have been following the Discord notifications, and it's been fascinating, kind of like watching it and so like seeing mm-hmm. people like talk about things and how things are like, like maybe like are some locations like slightly in the different place than they are on the map or something or. Yeah, or like there's a town where like somewhere where actually the bigger town that that you should probably put there is this town and yeah. this sort of thing. I mean, I say like I think a few times throughout the book I say like 
like we're not here to be like precious about history or whatever like yeah. we're here to be like relatively guided by it we're not here to like wikipedia every single time we like you know oh but was there a telephone exchange in this small <laughs> yeah. town like we need to find out no we don't need to find out it's fine like um yeah. but you know people people are gonna people know the places that they know mm. so that's been that's I kind of anticipated it, but I sort of didn't anticipate it to, I guess, the scale that it kind of happened. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, that's it's it's also like one of the things that is amazing about this is like I have played a tabletop game before. I have seen hex grids, hex maps before, but mm-hmm. it's very rare to see like, oh, this is England. <laughs> I know this is a place that is real <laughs> that ex- exists in some fashion, mm-hmm. um, and. It's it's such an interesting thing, like the idea of having, like mapping, a place where people live, a place where people like have opinions about and stuff like that. Yeah, and I mean, part of that's inspired by the book, The War of the Worlds. Yeah, aka, H.G. Wells basically lists every place he's <laughs> ever lived, and then it blows up. Like, <laughs> but it's it's like one place of the like south of London, right? It's like one it's, like little area there. It's not like yeah, I mean it's tiny. Like on on the like the as the sun forever sets map, it's it's a journey of maybe like mm, a cup. It's like twenty hexes or something that it, yes. that the original book takes place over. But the the idea of doing that, like if you've read the the novel, mm. um. Wells is like super hyper focused on like the minutiae of the places that he knows, especially like, oh, like he talks about like, you know, where the road meets here and there's a cross, like there's a crossroads, you know, the crossroads that I'm talking about. He's like written it in this way, like, oh, this Mm. college that's over by my house, like he describes it in this very, very like particular way. He's like, no, you need to know what like the intersection on this road looks like. You need to know like what this river looks like, where it goes, like you need to know about these particular districts in London. What road does this happen on, etc. And he does that because like he wants you it he's trying to make it feel as real as possible. So when the Martians show up it feels terrifying and you kind of get the scale of it. Yeah. And the mapping as the Sun Forever Sets is trying to sort of do the same thing, like mm. just on a way bigger scale unfortunately um yeah and the idea was to make it feel like like a place no matter where you are on there and like having all of these hexes and all of these towns and whatnot there's like i I haven't bothered counting how many towns (laughs) there are there's far too many um yeah there's like 50 like counties in the uk at this time anyway the the whole reason I did all of that when it could have I probably could have just done it without the hexes and come up with a different way to do everything is to give that it's to give that sense of like place and distance like yeah and when you see the Martians like spreading out over the map the idea is to give you that kind of sinking feeling like oh like mm. okay like things are changing we need to start moving like where do we go like it's it's so interesting you were saying how it's like this place is real for you and, 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 you know, all the locations sort of matter because like, I am an Australian and Mm -hmm. I have played with a bunch of different like Americans and, and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's so interesting, like 
because my approach to this and the thing that i i've 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 spoken to you about is that i've approached it like it's a bit of fiction and it's mm-hmm. like um you know what are the places that i actually know and uh and kind of like i've i've been drawn to like look at wikipedia just because when someone goes past windsor i'm like i know that's the queen's last name but why is it the queen's the last name <laughs> yeah and it's like it's like making me learn about the history of all these different places and making me want to go back to like an old almanac from 1882 and read about like all these these places and it's mm-hmm. like it's 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 a very weird recommendation but if people want to learn about <laughs> English history and geography, <laughs> this is a really good resource for this. You know, teachers, <laughs> if you're trying to get your kids interested in this, um, have a disaster happen in your in, in this place and learn about Let, it. Yeah, let's just stop. Hey, kids, like, no, we're not going to read books today. We're going to play books. Oh, <laughs> could you imagine having that happen in class? I hope. I hope, if you're if you're out there and you're a teacher, send me a, a DM or something. We'll yeah. make it happen. It's fine. It'll be good. <laughs> oh god, I now I have remembered this game and about like what it's about. The idea of making like a ten year old play it is yeah. <laughs> um, I think what you what, like you, yes, it is interesting, right? Because if you are from the UK, you're going to know these places or most of these mm. places. If you're not, and have opinions. Then, yeah, and have yeah. opinions because. You know, we like to have opinions here in the UK, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But if you're not, then it's just a bunch of places with, like, funny names. I got, yeah. I got a message saying, like, no, you you made up. Are these all real? <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Is Dungeness a real place? I'm like, yes, it, it, it is. It's spelled Dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is where the dungeon is on the map, I see. Um, yeah. So, it's it's like Middle Earth, honestly, in a lot of like ways. It's like Middle Earth, <laughs> but with Martians. Yeah, um, and I guess from that end, like it sort of has to feel, because even though you don't know what you know, John O'Groats is, or maybe what in uh, well, you might know what Inverness is like, I suppose. No idea. There's a monster in the lake, apparently. Um, you, it has to feel sort of. You have to be able to. Con- create this sort of contiguous feeling place like you can do in like Dungeons and Dragons and Blades in the Dark because you know the idea of what the place is meant to be like so you can sort of, you can map that stuff on which is basically how I've approached it for this game you know saying like oh this is very raw, this is a rural area there's a forest over here blah 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 here's what forests are generally like here's some like places that you might find in a rural area like farmers fields or um like there might be like an outdoor market. The houses are probably this, you know, they look probably something like this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and you've even included like a bunch of uh like a very sort of brief uh like what am I trying to say? Like a um Lindley Planet guide for like this is what's generally like here's some interesting places in in Portsmouth. Yeah. Or here's like the three locations in in Sheffield, and it's not exhaustive, but it's just this, this really like for me. I loved it because I was going through and just being like, "Oh, this is like it's like going on a holiday." And just like imagining what could be here, <laughs> mm-hmm. and how could I introduce Martians to this? I mean, part of that is because, like, well, yeah, every film that has like a a disaster happen in it, we have mm. to blow up the the landmark, and now people know like one landmark that's always going to get blown up, which is the 
you know, Big Ben. Yes. So for the Big Ben exploding moment to be able to happen across the country, like we need some places that, that may blow up. You gotta blow up Kirkstall Abbey. Yeah, exactly. What are you doing? <laughs> you gotta blow that stuff up. You gotta blow up. Um, I'm trying to find the list in the book now. <laughs> but I mean, it's to get, <laughs> this is the main thing, like, right? To give it this sense of like real place and yeah. making it so that you don't have to Google stuff unless you're mm-hmm. into that. You can get along with like the descriptions of the terrain and the sort of list of points of interest, like you say just fine Mm. you don't need to do any of that stuff like it's important to me that like this is a a relatively you know it's a it's a game based in real history but you don't have to know real history to be able to play it yeah i guess to like change track a little bit uh Mm. i want to ask about what were the process of like pitching to evil hat was like and what was the process for being (laughs) like this is a thing that you were like you know making and just like playtesting and little things on itch.io to being like i'm gonna pitch it to the same people who make you know blaze in the dark isn't it yeah. am i am i right in that mm-hmm. it's the yeah well they pub yeah they publish it scum and villainy band of blades thirsty sword lesbians apocalypse yeah. keys just came out um yeah uh girl by moonlight coming out to yes. another forge in the dark game um like incredible games yeah so I, they made a mistake is the <laughs> no. Um <laughs> don't, Sean, don't listen to this. No. Um I mean the first thing I did was send um Sean Nitner, who is um yeah. oh gosh apologies Sean, I don't know what your job title is, but Sean Nitner is half of the creative team of Aegon, should we say. Um Yeah. Uh gamer podcast and convention host according to his website. Yeah, like a runs big bad con, um yeah, works for Evil Hat as well, um, as well as being a game designer in his own right. Um, I basically sent you an email saying, like, do you do you like this? Does this? <laughs> if I tell you what this game is about, do you instantly say no, or like, do you like this? And yeah, so I sent a sort of pitch and said, like, hey, here's where I'm at with the game. Um, mm-hmm. Asked a few questions because Evil Hat doesn't um, publish a lot of like explicitly horror games yeah a lot of them are like horror adjacent <sighs> like band of blades blazing dark are like horror-esque right yeah <laughs> it's very close to the edge of horror yeah yeah like it borrows a lot from those sort of aesthetics and like you know there you can be a vampire there are vampires in blades in the dark like yeah i've not played in a game of band of blades but it sounds pretty horrifying from <laughs> from what i've yeah. been told about what happens in that game um but yeah, one of the things that Evil Hat um, says, like, oh, like um, when you submit a game to us, it should sort of look like it fits into our stable of games. Mm-hmm. So I asked that question, and I, I sort of said, like, where I'm at with everything. And someone said, no, like, it's not an automatic no. Um, it's, it sounds kind of cool. Um, once you're ready, once you feel like the game's in a place that you want to submit it, then go for it, and we'll have a look. Um and I think I worked on it for like a few more months. I like did the last sort of publicly available release with it, mm-hmm. and I sent it over, and it was just kind of um, it was a bit of like a, a hail mary really, because I I'd sort of gotten to a point where I didn't know what else I really wanted to do with it. Like the game's been 
working since I released it in, oh gosh, like, uh, I think end of 2020 or something. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point where I was like, I'm either going to sit on this for like a while and see if anything occurs to me, or like, I should try and just say, this is the finished game now and it's done. Yeah. And yeah, sending it to Evil Hat was just kind of a Hail Mary because it was like, ah, a few people had told me to send it um, from the Blazing Dark Discord. I was like, oh, okay, fine. We'll just send it. <laughs> was it? We'll just send it. And if it doesn't work, then yeah. I'll do the Kickstarter or, you know, back a kit thing that I've been planning on doing. Yeah. Because they wouldn't, I don't know why they would take this game. So then when they emailed me saying, like, yeah, okay, let's do a play test, I was like, okay, well, they probably just read it and thought, like, I don't get why this isn't, there must be something we're missing because it looks dumb and, uh, <laughs> why would you have the audacity to send this off but no um it turns out they we did a play test and they really liked it and uh yeah then they were like we would like to publish this and i was like did you mean to send this email to someone else but no they didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's a it's a good job i i yeah <laughs> they've given like a lot of support with it which has been super helpful i've been like fortunate to work with like i said helen gould uh like mm. sensitivity consultant but also strash asimovic um mm. co-author of scum of villainy band of blades yeah i'm just super excited for like um doing this play test finishing this play test and the thing coming out eventually <laughs> um I, I was gonna ask like what is how has it been going from like i don't know if this is necessarily the thing but like going from basically working on it yourself to like working on it with a team like what has that been like has it always been like you've been working with other people and getting advice and like or has it been sort of like sort of you've been writing it and then sending it out to people and getting responses and bring it back like mm-hmm. what's mean, it been like collaborating it's weird in a good way but it is weird hmm. so like i don't i don't know what you do because obviously you've you've designed your own hack of this game called yes you know apocalypse road trip shout outs which i was super i was like what what yeah <laughs> how small is this game you made this game really small yeah how did you make pages. the game small? <laughs> <laughs> um it's not as good but i still very much am very very proud of it but yes, i was just super is. excited by like how you'd managed to cut it down into something mm. that was like what is it like 30 40 pages long i don't know i that? think it's I think it's somewhere in the middle there, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but you did that by yourself as well, right? Yes. I did it, I think, over a couple of weeks in, I think it was around Christmas. I just like basically sat mm-hmm. down and were just like, I like this game. I have a bunch of kaiju ideas that I want to work <laughs> through and I want to see what this is like mm-hmm. from a modern perspective and stuff like that. And... Yeah, and then I just sort of sat down and did like a, a shorter version because I didn't want to write for two hundred pages, basically. Yeah. Um, which is a good idea because you know <laughs> then people read the whole thing, which is nice. Yes, <laughs> but you did that. You did that by yourself, like you know, like you say, it's hard mm. to like. It's I think a lot of people also do this, right? I don't know. I think it's more common for people to work on games themselves rather than with someone. Yeah. Um. It, it's it's sometimes. It's a weird thing because, again, I do this podcast collaboratively and, like, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I love doing is working with someone else and, like, having someone else there that I can sort of bounce ideas off and sort of respond to and all the rest of it. But it's also, like, I write 
typically alone and like um and you know do my ideas myself and it's the things that i'm considered interesting Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like. There's always the worry that working with people is always going to be like, no, they're going to get in the way of my brilliant vision and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm, I'm very like, especially your situation is is really interesting because, like, one, I imagine writing as a Sun Forever sets would have been a hell of an effort just to like do on your own, and then like going from that to being like, okay, I'm going to work with like a big team like a very important team in the the ttrpg industry is like like they they will know how to play test a game they will know how to go over a game they will know how to like make it sell and like that must have been the most wild experience and yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know i mean it was super it was actually super helpful because Mm. when you're just when you're working on a game on your own i find that like yeah you need like you say, with um, you and Cole, like it's good to have the the. Hey, what do you think of this? And they go, oh, have you thought about doing this? Or yeah, I like this. You yeah. could add this to it. Like it's that being able to bounce ideas off each other, like you say, is really helpful. And that's something mm. you don't get when you're just. Well, you do kind of get it when you're working on it by yourself. Like I would post a lot of stuff to the Blaze in the Dark Discord, for example. Yes. There's the hack channels in there that I talked about earlier. Um, where people post what they're working on but it's very hard to like um, when it comes to something like bigger as opposed to like a paragraph of rules it's hard to like get feedback on that like on how it's written and and whether it sounds good whether it might do the things that you want like because if you're changing one little part of blades in the dark then it's a lot easier to work out how that's going to fit in and how that might work than like, hey, I changed every single part of Blades in the Dark. What do you think about this one little rule that references like five like, other rules? They will have to know your system intricately to like yeah. know how it, it alters, yeah. Or I'm going to have to spend like an hour and a half explaining all the connected systems <laughs> yeah. to do that one thing. So that obviously makes that thing like a little more difficult. Um, mm. And what Evil Hat have been able to do is, like I say, we did the play test. They re- they reviewed it. They once they sort of said, "Hey, you know, we're interested in this. We'd like to publish this." They sent me a list of stuff that they were like, "Hey, we want to see a bit more work on these things." It wasn't like change your game like loads. It was like, mm. could we have some like more GM advice? Could we have like a bit more guidance around like? There's a part of the game called like events, which are like sort of like entanglements in in Scum and Villainy and Blades in the Dark, right? Something goes wrong yeah. while you're attempting to do the job. Um, like, can we have? And again, in as some forever sets, these are completely free form, can be like whatever. So they wanted some more guidance around that. And then they had Strash come in and like review the entire game, and it's just like Strash is very very good at doing the maths on things, which I am not good <laughs> at at all. Yeah. Uh, uh, the blessed per- game designer who actually understands math like mm-hmm. i mean i am absolutely i could never do it but yeah yeah same <laughs> i'm like i was i was super excited to work with strash because like um like i said before scum villainy was the first yeah. role-playing game i ever ran it was super cool to be able to work with him um and he just had the like craziest insights on stuff it's like hey talk me through how you make this role so i explain it he's like Okay, 
So here's how this would that would like play out in math terms. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? Yeah. Like having that second perspective on the entire thing and having him read the entire thing so he's able to like get perspective on you know not only like how do these read like does this make sense when i read it but like how does this fit into the broader mechanics of the game was just like invaluable it was so it was so so helpful to be able to have strush do that um yeah without evil hat or because i don't have you know money to pay someone really to review this game um yeah it wouldn't have happened no, it's 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 amazing. It's, like, Strash has worked on. I I can like they've probably been thanked in like the 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 Blaze the Dark official book, and they've been working like had a hand in like most of the other things. And I'm like, that's that's the first that I know. And it's mm-hmm. it's one of these weird things with tabletop RPG communities where you're just like, I can't believe that's them, and like everyone else doesn't really know who you're talking about. But just like, wow. As a person who's in the industry knows all these people, it's just like, wow, this it must have been incredible. Yeah. And um again, in like in the course of like sort 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 of sorting all of this stuff out with Evil Hat, they, they, I was like I just wanted to talk to some people who published games with Evil Hat and see, you know, what's it like to work with them. Like mm. and I ended up talking to Ray Najadi, who um he's made Apocalypse Keys, which like I said came out recently. Um Yeah. And he ended up becoming like yet another person that I keep showing bits of the game to, and they keep offering advice. So that's <laughs> also super helpful. I'm gonna be playing a game with him um, tomorrow again, tomorrow yeah. as of as of this recording. Um, so that's gonna be super cool. And they also one thing that I was worried about. Evil Hat is very proactive about making games that are like inclusive and diverse, right? Yeah. So, you know, Thirsty Sword Lesbians, obviously, right? Apocalypse yes. is very, very about um, queerness and otherness. And I was worried people would look at As the Sun Forever Sets and see, oh, it's a historical game. It's a hex crawl set in Victorian England. <laughs> yeah. Finally, I can just be a white straight guy or <laughs> yeah, something. With right? abilities and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was something that it was super helpful to talk to Ray about because mm. they'd actually worried about the the same thing with Apocalypse Keys. They they thought like, well, is this like the example that I kind of gave was like Thirsty Sword Lesbians is very like capital Q queer. Mm. Right? I mean the game is called Thirsty Sword Lesbians. It, and it's also powered by lesbians, I believe. And it's powered the... by lesbians. <laughs> um but whereas whereas you know, one of the one of the big touchstones for Apocalypse Keys is Hellboy, mm. which has these themes of otherness and stuff, but it doesn't. It's not like capital Q queer, and it's something that we talked about as being like lowercase Q, and it's something that I mention in the book as a result of talking to Ray that like there are like a lot of you know queer characters, um, like non-white characters, people of color, like different nationalities that aren't British because that was another <clears throat> another thing that I was really worried about like I lit- had a comment on my itch page saying do you have to be British or can you be someone else I saw that I was can like, you play uh, an American no you can be you can be an American <laughs> in this game yeah. um, but the whole reason to, to, to have the the queer characters and whatnot in this game is like 
again, we were talking about whitewashing of history. Like, this is something that, that kind of gets brushed over. And it's like, hmm. they're in there because we've always been around, right? As a, yeah. as, a, as a trans woman who uses she, they pronoun. We've always existed, right? So we don't have to put that on a big sign on the front of the book. It's just, this is a historical game. And it is a fact that queer and yeah. trans people were, like existed in Victorian times. So it's just like representative of the actual history of the, the actual world that we live in. Yeah, I like that. It's like one of the things that like, again, you're not just, you know, you're not, we're not just redoing, you're not playing within like a, a, a period drama. You're taking history again by the neck and just being like look this is what it's like like let's look mm -hmm. at this and let's examine it for what it actually is and let's explore it and almost like do like uh, like like sort of i don't know like i want to say fan fiction but like fan fiction in the way that like you take a thing that exists and people don't question and then you're just like all right let's examine this let's let's look closer at it and and address some shit about it mm -hmm. and yeah i the, I, I love that bit about it yeah, it's it's like how we 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 mentioned the, the the S word, right? Steampunk earlier. Yes. Um I think it's like a lot of people this uh, this is it's not a hot take of me to say that like a lot of steampunk media seems to forget the punk part of the steampunk yeah. and it just becomes like brass goggles and top hats and like we're going to the center of the earth. What 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 an adventure. I can see that. Um well, I guess, is there, uh, how should people check out this game? How should people check out the, the playtest and stuff like that? Yeah, so um, if you go to Evil Hat's website, which is um, evilhat.com, um, mm -hmm. you, can, you can sign up to the playtest there. I can't remember how, where exactly it is on their website now. I think it's on their blog. It's like the first, yeah, it's the, uh, I, I will request that um, we put a link in the show notes because there's a lot of dashes in the URL that I have. Yeah. <laughs> you can also go to uh, uh, rileydaniels.h.io slash Yes. And there is a thing right there. It says, now being published by Evil Hat, sign up for the open playtest. And you can mm -hmm. literally click to go straight there. That is yeah. the nice and quick one. Um, you have some time. The playtest ends. Uh, the 15th of September is when that ends. And then yeah. we will uh, be... Fixing all of the multitudinous ways that it's no doubt broken, and then... You're going to get that map right. Get that map right. Where's this town? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, like, jump in. It's it's cool. There's still people running games, including you. Yes. You are still running games. I'm making my way there. It's... 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 <laughs> it's such a it's like it's difficult sort of like scheduling things here and there because we're in a lot of different time zones it's the curse mm -hmm. of being in australia but it is happening and it's always very entertaining to sort of see and yeah. it's always very surprising to see the amount of doctors that turn up <laughs> i saw this on the list of questions and you how many doctors have you had in your game i've i've had five <laughs> player characters three of them have been doctors i don't know why that is i've not had a single doctor it's. I guess it's useful in the apocalypse to have someone doing medicine, but like, well, I don't yeah, know. as like many of the many of the groups that I ran games for found out, yeah, <laughs> once they got shot, they're like, oh, one of us should have been a doctor. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I've had I've had 
yeah, very little, very few criminals as well, which is kind of interesting. I have had someone who had the trait unlucky, which I thought was very funny. Oh. Uh, because mm-hmm. your trait, if they're negative, will impact your roll. And the thing about unlucky in a dice game <laughs> it will gonna, always come into play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a ge- I had a game where my friend Kat ran a character called oh gosh what was her name but she was like um she ran like a t- um like an Oliver Twist style gang oh. so she had okay she had two I think it was three companions with her um who were all like child thieves okay and they were all very like <laughs> very like. They were great. They were like the best asset to have. If I can recommend anything for people wanting to min-max this game, which I said you shouldn't do earlier, but if you do want to do that, definitely get some child thieves as companions (laughs) as soon as you can. Because they're great fun. Just Mm -hmm. threw that in. Yeah. Um... That's cool. I'm very excited, and it's like such a fun game to like play, just because of the the things that come out of it. Uh, is, is there anything else you'd like to sort of shout out? Any any you know, we always have a shout out at the end of the, the podcast. Um, yeah, what else are you working on? What 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 what's catching your interests? Um. Oh gosh, let's see. I am uh working on a game called Into the Blind, which is mm-hmm. a um game based on the trophy trophy gold role playing game um about mm-hmm. sort of inspired by uh things like um alien the expanse annihilation about people on the weird edge of analog space essentially doing hard jobs and trying to get paid for them which i am still working on but if you visit my itch page rileydanus.itch.io you can find a free preview that you can mm-hmm. grab and have a play with and look forward to the full game when that eventually comes out whenever that comes out um apart from that what have i been what have i been what have i been excited about um i'm still excited for exiles man i want to play exiles again emma costas forge in the dark game exiles which is um uh this to my list developed out of her other role-playing game crescent moon which is um mm-hmm. like a sort of nicey like um game about like kids kind of like discovering themselves and like in a land of dreams exiles is teens crawling out of hell back to the real world um okay and there's there's also a free play kit on on her itch page emma-acosta.itch.io slash exiles that you can grab um i'm gonna check this out this looks sick as hell yeah you you play a gang of teens who get thrown into hell and you have to try and work out how to get out and it's just very 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 good and it's also inspired some of answer some forever set um we joke often yeah. that they're basically the same not basically the same game but doing the same thing uh, right misery simulator they are very different <laughs> mm-hmm. but they both like it when you have a bad time <laughs> which yeah. is the connecting thing um yeah it, it's super sweet i am excited to uh I am also working on this game at the moment. Yeah, full disclosure. Yeah, full disclosure. Uh, but I'm excited for other people to be able to play what I played because it looks super cool. This looks amazing. Uh, so I guess without any further ado, back to you, future Marley. Thank you, past Marley. Uh, so yeah, we will close up with uh, the final shout outs and stuff we've been checking out. Um, Cole, what have you been checking out recently? Uh, honestly, I'm working through summer, but one thing I did 
get an email sent to me uh, today, which is a Tuesday, which is not our usual recording day. That's on me. But uh, I got an email about Reap by Spencer Campbell, which is their new project they're working on. Uh, it is essentially about a lone necromancer striding between the worlds of the living and the dead. If you like mm-hmm. Rune, you will love Rape. Uh, it uses a modified version of the rules created for Rune. It's another solo tabletop RPG based on the Souls-like genre. And mm-hmm. uh, you are slaying the horrors of the living and the dead, reaping their souls, combining narrative exploration with tactical combat. While you wander the world, discovering its secret, you'll be thrown into dangerous combat. Call upon your mastery of necromancy and let none stand in your way. It's going to be a very nice book, and I love the art so far. I would love to get a chance to play this as well. It's like the ultimate. It's, it's becoming more and more Dark Souls as things go on. Yeah. Um, all the games from, from Gil RPGs. Um, I don't have anything to shout out this episode. I was, I've been playing Baldur's Gate. <laughs> That's basically been my time. So I will, I will close out with a shout out to our Patreon, which is once again, uh, patreon.com slash inside the table. Lots of different tiers, lots of different fun benefits, including a podcast for the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, do support us. We'd be very much appreciative of it. And, and yeah, I look forward to seeing you all the discord. Yeah. Thank you all so much. So yeah, this was Inside the Table. Uh and thanks very much for listening. Uh I was Molly. You can follow me at minor underscore Lenahan on the social media site X, among other things. I should probably just say go to linktr.ee slash uh minor Lenahan in order to find all my social medias, um, including Blue Sky, which I've joined recently. Um and my pronouns are he him. Uh, and I was joined today by Cole. And once again, you can follow me on the uh, on the Twitter, formerly known as Twitter <laughs> website, uh, Tumblr co-host at Ice Cold Brew. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, they, them. And uh, you can also see me in various other spots online. Please go check out Kalascon. Go support the Patreon over there as well. Yeah. Keep an eye on Not an N's uh, Tumblr. Well, actually, it's Austin Ramsey Games on Tumblr also on co-host and on uh not twitter it is not an n as well and uh yes. where we post little stuff and hints about the classcon game we are currently at the halfway mark for it i cannot wait i how it's gonna be a while before the whole thing's edited and gone through but i get the emails for it i'm so excited for this i cannot wait to hear um, what the fuck is going on in that game? Uh, Marley, um, to give you yeah. a little special hint, I we recorded a downtime and I had to go and find uh, images and give descriptions of what my mom's looked like. In real life or in At my character's mom's? OK, <laughs> great. That's the kind of shit I'm after. Yeah. <laughs> Should I edit that out or leave it in? Leave it in because it's okay. nondescript enough to like let people know something's up, I think. OK. And we do great work. Fucking love Glasgow. I cannot wait to hear it. I'm very excited. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, you can follow this 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 podcast on various social medias. <laughs> it says Twitter um, <laughs> at uh, linkter.ee/slash inside the table. Um, and be sure to review an Apple podcast. If you join our, um, if you go on the, the link tree page, it should have 
a link to Apple Podcasts, and I think other things have things too. Spotify is doing something with questions. Don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. They've been doing that. Okay, good. I don't know if we have received any questions. But I don't know how to find them. Yeah, I don't know how to read them. It's very confusing. There's a lot of social media sites. Anyway, if you have any questions and would like to have them read or answered, uh, be sure to send them at insidethetable at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, be sure to recommend it to a total stranger. Um, who else could they re uh, recommend it to? Uh, recommend it to the buddy that you are talking about what you did before the war as the enemy inevitably charges against you and then you have to respawn shortly after. Yes. It would be weird if we got an email from someone like that, but sure. Oh my um, god, that'd be wild. <laughs> yeah. Also, fuck armies, they suck. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, and, finally, if you remember, our last thing we say is, every day is Five Star Friday here at Inside the Table. If there's a ga game you like, go out and give it a five star rating, or, again, as I've said in the last few episodes, recommend it shout it out on twitter tell people about how much you like it give it a shout out in public or something and that's how i found out about a lot of games that are being talked about and and chatted about and it's really ignites my interest for for all these things so be sure to shout out the games you like um and without any further ado goodbye goodbye farewell so long farewell Avita, say goodbye. I'm not going to sing anymore. Is that a song? Yeah, that's um from the sounds of uh the sounds of music. I don't know. I've never seen that musical. People always talk about it, yeah. but I'm happy it exists. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> uh, we should clap. Forty-five minutes. <laughs> that's good. I've started recording. I do. Okay. Clap. There we go. Let's do, let's do a clap. Let's do let's do time dot is. Are we doing time dot is? I do time dot is. Is time dot is bad? Is time dot is cancelled? Time. Oh uh, yeah. Well, you didn't see the the time dot is special from like nineteen ninety six where they did yeah. the racist Chinese accent bit for ten minutes on stage. Or like all the quotes. What is the quote? It's like friend, we're friends at the table right here. I guess we all like to be recognised, not for one piece of fireworks. What? Not for one piece of fireworks, but for the ledger of our daily work. Neil Armstrong. Yeah. You know the, the, the piece of fireworks he did? When he went to the moon? That was You know his famous moon firework? When he rode up to the moon on a big firework. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah he did do that. That's true. And he waved his little cowboy hat around and went, yeehaw. His famous scene. And then he said, now we are all sons of bitches. <laughs> <Yeah>. Fireworks. <laughs> uh. <laughs>